Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available... On digital, Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Archie and his boys, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And that's you probably know by now. Who's your hysterics? Who's your hysterics? Who's your hysterics? Boy, oh boy, oh boy. It's time for another episode of Hoosier Hysterics, powered by... You know what I realized? Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Broke it up. We never tell people... When I listen to other podcasts, they always say, welcome to blah, blah, blah podcast. I'm blank, and this is We never introduce ourselves. We never say our names. I think most people know who we are. I don't. But we should say who we are. I'm Ward Roberts. I'm Eric Pankowski. I felt like I said my own name weird. Well, we don't say our own names that often. Ward... Roberts. It's weird to say your own name. Eric Pankowski. It's a weird name. I have, mine's a bad like bar name because it's such an unusual name. And if it's like loud, say Ward, people are like Lauren. Right. Like somehow just the middle uh, vowel and consonant, they just take that and slap whatever more common name they want in the middle. We've even had some of the players that we've introduced that we introduce ourselves to them and then they think your name is like Warren. We got, was that Laz? Yeah, I think Laz thought else, I was Warren. There was, there's another mess up of Ward. Because it's na- not my, a common name. No, my neighbor Betty, I've been living next to her for two and a half years. She still calls me Wade. I got a little indigestion on that yeah, one. Yeah, the breath control wasn't up to no. par. No. <laughs> Oh, man. I, I think this is going to be a fun one today. They're all fun, but this guy seems a little extra fun, a little extra spicy. And a shout out to Pat Graham, who helped us get this interview. Thank you, Pat. Uh, this... hey, hey, Pat, again, I'm sorry about having to leave halfway through our interview. That killed me. This interview is going to be fun. This gentleman lived through the same era that Pat did, was part of those teams as well, had a solid career at Indiana. Uh, has been part of the Indiana University uh, basketball world since graduating Indiana. Uh, many viewer, many listeners of our podcast will definitely recognize his voice, whether it's from him calling games with the legendary Don Fisher or from his recent podcasting with 
uh, the Daily Hoosier. The Daily Hoosier. They send it out after the game. It's good stuff, both both by Todd and what the Daily Hoosier does he every said his name. Shit. Uh, from uh, either with either by uh, most Hoosier fans listening to this podcast will know our guest not just from his playing days at Indiana, but from his long stretch calling games with the legendary Don Fisher, or in recent times entering the podcast world with the incredible IU podcast. After the game, coming at you from the Daily Hoosier, which does some great work. If you are not signed up for the Daily Hoosier, I recommend you do that. You get a nice little update on something Hoosier basketball related every day in your email inbox. And, and we're, we're not getting paid to say that. That's we just, are not. That's just, we I, just like them. Yep. And in between his time calling games with the legendary Don Fisher and now doing post-game wrap-ups with the Daily Hoosier, this gentleman also experienced some real-life obstacles that we are going to get into that are just compelling to hear from someone who went through it. That said, let's get to it. Hoosier hysterics. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of Hoosier Nation, we've got another player from my personal favorite era of Indiana basketball ever. Eric, give us more details on who's on the phone with us. We are talking to a gentleman today who won a state title in Indiana in his senior year at Lawrence North. Back when state titles meant something. Exactly. <laughs> we are talking to a multiple-time Big Ten champion. We are talking to a player who appeared in a Final Four. And I want to say one thing about that Final Four. Gave Indiana fans a stretch of basketball that will be remembered forever. We all talk about the watch shot, Keith Smart shot to win the title. AJ's block. Yes. There are few other things that have happened in Indiana basketball that are more memorable than the stretch of basketball that this gentleman gave us in 1992. We are talking to a 42.3% all-time three-point shooter, which is good for 11th all-time. We are talking to someone who my ex-wife was madly in love with from the time she was in middle school through high school, so we will get into that. Ladies and gentlemen, we are talking to the one and only Todd Leary. <laughs> well, thank goodness for everybody else. There's not another one of me. <laughs> so, Todd, how the hell are you, man? Man, I'm doing great. I, uh, I, I got to tell you, I am interested to hear what this conversation is going to be about because Pat Graham actually praised you guys, and I can tell you that is the only interview Pat Graham's ever done that he enjoyed. So I'm, you got some big shoes to fill right now. <laughs> that, get, get ready to be disappointed, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> I'm used to that in my life. Trust me, I'm fine with that. So, Todd, tell us where you are right now and uh, what's going on in your life these days. Let's start there. I live in Evansville, Indiana. I've only been here for about six weeks. Uh, I took a job two years ago managing cemeteries down in Paducah, Kentucky, uh, and the opportunity came up to move a little bit closer back to home. I've got a son that is a sophomore, going to be a junior in high school, so this gives me an opportunity to get back a little bit more. Uh, Paducah's five hours from Carmel, and this is only three hours from Carmel. So I live in Evansville, Indiana, uh, home of now Pat, now home of Pat Graham, and uh, I have loved the last six weeks being here. So, so do you hang out with Pat now that you guys are in the the same hood? 
Well, his birthday was yesterday, so I have to say, yes, we hang out. I, you know, he's kind of a hermit, um, <laughs> so he doesn't get out a whole lot. And I'm trying to work a lot since I just got here. So um, I haven't seen him a bunch, but I've seen him a handful of times. Do you like his bulldogs? Because I'm sure that's key to being a part of his life. Bulldogs, turtles. It's better than college. In college, he had snakes and some other weird <laughs> crap in his apartment. So nobody would ever go over there. And I, maybe I get the point of why he had it now, but I can't stand snakes and shit. Yeah, you know, we're with you. Indiana Jones. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, wait, I want to back up. You said that you moved to Evansville from Paducah. Paducah is in Kentucky. It had to suck to live in Kentucky. I mean, how much did it suck to live in Paducah? You know, uh, it sucked. Yes. I mean, Good. it's everyone around it. This is the crazy part. This is the west side of Kentucky. It's about as far west as you can get. So you've got to pass Louisville two solid hours before you get to UK. And I'm telling you, I didn't see a single Louisville fan the whole time I was there. Everyone is hillbilly blue. Yes. And it's, uh, you know, it's pretty painful. The, the only benefit uh, is they sucked, you know, when when they don't win, like their version of sucking in ours is a little bit different right now. Yeah, that's all relative. <laughs> when, when, when they don't win the, the NCAA championship with all the hype they get, uh, you know, I can talk as much crap as anybody. Yeah, well, I will tell you, my my fandom for Indiana – because of the lack of success in the program over the last several years, has changed from there was never any more joy that I used to get than us winning games, winning Big Ten championships, going far in the NCAA tournament, and, of course, winning NCAA titles. That used to give me more joy than anything. But almost like a Darwinian you know, natural selection <laughs> theory of evolution – I have changed over the last decade, and now I think I get more joy from the teams I hate losing. That I've had to focus on that. Well, I, I just remember my daughter was born. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Wait, it was my son. Oh, boy. It was my son who was born in the Kentucky-Kansas title game, right? I don't This know. was 2014, and all I wanted— was for Kentucky to lose. I hated the idea that Kentucky would win the <laughs> national championship on the day my son was born. Oh, fair. I just, and, and they did, right? No, they didn't. Oh, Kansas, Kansas won that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, see, I, I, when, when there's a game like Kansas-Kentucky, I hate both teams. I just tune out. Now, Todd, growing <laughs> up, though, as a central Indiana guy, you're, did you have hatred for Purdue? Did you love Indiana? Where were you growing up yeah, with all yeah, that? Yeah, I was, I was, I was hatred for Purdue. I was, I was, uh, our version of church was the Bob Knight show on Sunday morning. So, uh, I was a Purdue hater at that point. And, you know, backing up a minute, you just describing yourself as enjoying good teams losing. Isn't that the definition of a Purdue fan? <laughs> oh, man. Did you just call That's me pretty a much Purdue fan? I, pretty close. Oh. I mean, you, you defined yourself as a Purdue fan. I just said that's what it is. That is uh, fair, and now I have a lot of looking in the mirror to do. <laughs> a lot. Um, so uh, so you grew up, we'll go back to, to now your childhood. You grew up watching Bob Knight show on Sunday mornings and hating yep. Purdue. How did you find the game of basketball? Do you remember your first time being introduced? Yeah, my dad, my dad was, uh, my grandfather actually played at IU back in the 40s. Um, and so Your grandfather my, played at IU? He did. For Coach he McCracken? Did. No, it was in 43. I think it was before McCracken. 
I, no, I should I should know more about that, shouldn't I? But yeah, his picture his picture's on the wall in Assembly Hall. He's he's in there as well. Wow. Um, and so that's my dad's dad, and he, uh, my dad, obviously loved basketball growing up. Everyone on that side of my family uh, all aspired to be basketball players, and my dad was kind of a hard nosed disciplinarian especially when it came to basketball wise and so he obviously loved coach Knight so that was that's kind of I grew up and and some of the best games I ever thought I played I got to learn how uh, shitty I played the whole way home (laughs) (laughs) and did that motivate you to get better or were you just angry about it at the time I was probably pretty angry but in the long run like I I loved basketball like I uh, I laugh at my kids now because um, in the summertime, you know, they're, they're busy worrying about going out and doing stuff all the time. And we literally, like, I just played basketball. I would go to the gym when no one was there, we would have to sneak in. And, you know, somehow we, we, uh, I even had a key to the school, which I know today would be breaking and entering and another felony on my record. But, uh, <laughs> so I had a you... key to the, I get a key to the school. I could go anytime I wanted and put the baskets down and play. And it was, it, I loved it. And that was at Lawrence North that, that, yep. that yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, yeah. when did you... I will not disclose how I got that key by the way. Okay. All right. Interesting. <laughs> well, we'll warm you up first. I mean, before we ask the real stuff. Yeah. 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 What, when did you realize you could shoot the hell out of the basketball? Like at what point did you become, it was, you loved basketball to, I am really good at putting the ball in the hole. Um, you know, probably early, I can remember early, early back in boys club days, um, that I was always the leading scorer and, you know, my dad was the typical dad at that point. I think I was playing in the seventh grade league when I was four. Uh, but, but, you know, I just, I always could score. I always, uh, I always remember being a scorer. Um, and truly I, I hated defense. I didn't, I didn't know anything. I didn't learn it. I didn't study it. I didn't try to get better at it. I only practiced offense all the way up to high school, and and I think my high school coach would definitely attest to that. <laughs> so you uh, you had a pretty good high school career. Uh, you you had another guy in your team named Eric Montrose. Yeah, he was okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I'm not gonna lie and say that we're like you know fans of that guy. We basically feel like he stabbed us in the heart and went and won a national championship at another school. But it I'm hurt. gonna I'm gonna look past that for now. And, and let you tell us a little bit about playing on such a good high school team with him, the other guys that ended up bringing a, a state title home to your school. Yeah, that was, um, I know we, you know, we kind of joke about it because it's been so long now, but, but truly that was, that was basketball. I mean, when there was one class, when there was one state champion, I know it's cool now because so many more kids get a trophy and a ring and things like that. But, I even remember the years when I didn't win. I know how bad it hurt not to win. So that made it – I mean, I had I had the picture-perfect ending to a high school career, in my opinion. And getting to win my senior year, um, that was – that you know, that was obviously what we worked for from the time I stepped foot in the gym as a freshman at Lawrence North. And to be able to do that and accomplish something you have worked so hard for and – you know, there's just as many. There's there's so many people out there that have worked just as hard as you have, uh, but to be lucky enough to to play well enough at the right times and come out uh, with a state championship in that situation was something. Obviously, it's one of the highlights of my life, and and uh, you know, I, I don't think there's any way something like that could could ever be topped, especially since they 
did away with that one class system. Now, was that Final Four? Was that in the Hoosier Dome or was that at Market Square no, Arena? It was at Market Square. Still pretty damn cool. Pretty cool. By the way, yeah. Pat Graham did say that his Floyd Central team was the only team that had a chance to beat your team that senior year, but they choked against Kokomo in the semis and never got the chance. Yeah, and, and truly, they had two guys that were about six foot six or seven. Um, and those two guys combined probably would have done, I, I would have, I would have hated to have seen, uh, I wouldn't have, it would have been fun, but, but those guys had a chance of put doing something to Eric that a lot of people couldn't do. Um, and you know, it would have been a good game, uh, guarding Pat would have been tough. Um, you know, I still say to this day, if there is, if there's a 19 foot jumper that, one that you have to make you only get one shot and only one person in the world can take it pat would still be my guy i would pick to take it and wow that's a yeah, hell of that, a thing from coming from a guy who uh could shoot from anywhere on the court pat was pat was just different you know when it came to standing still shooting one shot uh i wouldn't bet against him so he's and, he's the man in a game of horse he's your guy yeah yeah he's legit so, in the game. now he probably hasn't touched the ball in 20 years I mean, right. he's a complete lazy ass now but <laughs> at that time yes well it's funny uh, i'm gonna go from you uh with the lazy ass comment to something he said about you which is which will make you feel bad for saying that uh he said <laughs> that if he was in a street fight and he had to pick one guy to be by his side, it would be Todd Leary. Now, he also told me in a previous conversation that Jamal Meeks would be a guy that he would want in a street fight, too. I asked him to pick between Meeks and you, and he said, you, because, quote, you would have to kill that son of a bitch. <laughs> so What was the quote? The because, qu quote, what? I, I asked him, uh, if you had to pick between Meeks and Leary in a street fight on your team, who would you pick? And he said, you, Leary, because you would have to kill that son of a bitch to keep him down. Oh, yeah. I, I, I'll tell you what. Like, I'm stealing this quote 100% completely. I, and I believe me, I get chills thinking about Pat saying that because, yeah, uh, I, I wanted to be the pit bull. I wanted to be the bulldog. And if I probably get my butt kicked 90% of the time, but I keep fighting and I keep going at it. And and so I, that was kind of the the – mantra I wanted to have for myself but coach Knight uh after my sophomore year coach Knight I I was I was known as the answer man coach Knight used to always call me the answer man because he said I had to an answer for everything <laughs> so he asked me he asked me if I thought that I could kick his ass <laughs> and I said well yeah I do and he said what makes you think that and I said well because you're old and he said, he said, here's the problem with what you're saying is you might kick my ass today and you might kick my ass tomorrow, but then the next day you're going to have to kick my ass again. And one of these days, you're not going to kick my ass and I'm going to kill you. <laughs> and I said, I was like, man, that's a, that's a terrible thought, but he's probably, I, I agree. Like he's right. Like I literally think that he, you know, if he were the best of you, you're done. Your day is over, and you have no life left. And and so I feel good about. I, I think I'm giving Coach a compliment by saying, and I certainly take it as a compliment from Pat. Uh, so let's go back just for a, a couple minutes. You, growing up, shooting the basketball, scoring the basketball. What? Who? 
who were the players on Indiana University that you looked up to? Were there guys that were kind of like your idols growing up that you wanted to be like or just that you were big fans of? You know, I can't say that I ever really tried to emulate my game after anyone else. I can, other than, you know, I dribbled the ball three times at the free throw line because Steve Alford did. And, um, but, you know, I don't, I don't think I was really like a whole lot of other people. I, try, I wore number 30 because of Ted Kitchell. Um, I loved Randy Whitman one team i mean obviously isaiah was awesome but i don't think you would ever compare the two <laughs> in any way shape or form i just don't think i emulated anyone else's game i wanted to be i wanted to shoot like offered i wanted to shoot like jay edwards and those two guys don't shoot anywhere near the same form or anything like each other but i just loved all those guys i, I could have told you everything about uh about most of the guys on the team at that point watched all those teams i loved all those guys um but i you know i don't really think i played like any of them or uh there weren't there weren't too many guys that play you know offer never really played point guard um and and i didn't either in school like i truly the first time i ever brought the ball up the court was in college so first of all i was just wondering did you play up against jay edwards was there any crossover between his time in marion and when you were at lawrence north or was he just a little too old for you to be on the court at the same time i started as a sophomore at lawrence north and he was a senior at marion and they beat us 103 to 53. <laughs> they literally beat us by 50. <laughs> and that was their third year of winning the state three years in a row. And it was like, it wasn't even, that game wasn't even on their radar. They didn't even consider us anything. And they were destroyed. How good was Jay Edwards? Bit ridiculous. He was, uh, you know, just in that sense of seeing him at that point, you know, he was, now, I didn't get to be with him at all at IU. Actually, that's kind of how I got the scholarship to go there was when he left. At IU, listening to Jamal and Mark Robinson and Oliphant and those guys describe Jay, um, those guys, I think, would even tell you he was as good as he wanted to be. And, you know, when he had the right mindset and when he had things, when he wanted to be really good, he was the best player on the floor, and I don't care who the other team was. Um, he could be that guy. And so, you know, he's – He's even better than I saw him in high school at that point, but he was, yeah, on a high school level, he was a guy that was undefendable. So when is the first time that you meet Coach Knight? The first time I met him, I went down with Montreal. Actually, I, I went to Bob Knight camp when I was a kid. So, um, you know, I met him down at that point. I got my picture with him when I was a little kid, and I was a nerd like that. From a recruiting standpoint, I went down with Montreal. Uh, my sophomore year, his freshman year in high school, and I met him at that point at a practice. Um, my recruiting from Indiana was, if you do, you know the story. I do. I, I remember you. I watched you telling it first. I watched Coach Knight telling it at your senior night, and then your rendition of it. But please tell us. Yeah. So it was. Um, I was on a recruiting visit with Matt Painter uh, up to the Minnesota. And I hadn't been recruited by Indiana at all. There was already six guys that were going to Indiana. Um, and I was on the recruiting visit going to Minnesota. And that was on – we left on Sunday, came back on Tuesday. And Friday, I was going to Purdue to visit Purdue. Um, oh. Tuesday night – yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> Tuesday I got home. Believe me, I, I would have gone there. That would have definitely been my choice to go there just be based on proximity to home and I didn't have an offer to go to Indiana. 
Um, Wait, and real, real quick, when, before you finish this story that we want to hear, uh-huh. I just I'm trying to get in your head during that time. Was it killing you that you didn't have an offer from Indiana? How how much did it bother you, or did you just did it roll off your back and you said, okay, well I'm going to go somewhere else? You know, uh, Pat had committed there early. Lawson had committed there early, and we played AAU together. So, um, you know, Greg Graham had committed there. There were so many guards already going there. I didn't know anything about Reynolds other than I knew he was another guard going there. I knew Meeks and Lyndon Jones were there already. There was a lot of guards there. Um, and, and honestly, it wasn't like those guys committed kind of early, so it really wasn't ever on the radar. I, I didn't until, – until this point of getting the phone call from Bob Knight, I didn't consider going there at all because it was never an option. They had so many guys already going there that it just wasn't a thing. So I – I uh, I had never considered it much at all. So okay. the so the phone rings. Yeah, you're back from your recruiting trip in Minnesota. So yeah, I get back. My mom picks me up at the airport, and she said, "Hey, um, we got a call this morning from uh, the basketball office at IU, and obviously we told them you weren't home. And Bob Knight's going to call you tonight." I'm like, "What's going on?" And they're like, "Well, Jay Edwards transferred this morning, or or declared for the NBA this morning." And so there's a scholarship open. We're all putting two and two together. We're assuming he's calling here for that. And and so that was our ride home. It was me and my mom talking about it. And my mom is my biggest fan and supporter ever in the world to this day. And so, um, you know, it was just one of those situations we're driving home. We're thinking that's what it's about, but no clue. And so I call Montross, and actually Montross and his dad come over. My dad's there. My next-door neighbors are there couple guys off the team are at my house and you know we're just all kind of sitting around not knowing what this is going to be like at all um and the phone rings and i answer it and it's coach knight and he said hey todd this is coach knight and he said i've got um i've got some things i want to talk to you about do you have do you have time i was like yeah of course <laughs> and so literally everyone's sitting in the room staring at me it's dead silent and I'm not sure I spoke or uttered any sounds at all for like 40 minutes. <laughs> wow. Uh, Were you scared? Just talked, Were you scared? I was scared. Oh, did, scared to death. Yeah. Like completely scared and nervous and not, you know, immature, not knowing what's going on. I'm, you know, I'm cocky, but I'm nervous and scared. It's, it's just a whole range of weird emotions going on. And, and in your and so mind, everyone, in your mind right now, sorry, just trying to, to really put yeah, ourselves yeah. there. Is Bob Knight, I mean, I went to Bob Knight's basketball camp when I was a kid as well. And to me, Bob Knight was, uh, I mean, he was as close to God as you could get. He was this deity. I mean, it was just the the aura of Knight is hard to explain. You're in the state. You're a star player. Is he that elevated to you at this point also? Or is it a little? Yeah, without a doubt. Okay. Yeah, no doubt about it. He is. He's that big to me, like he is the, the messiah of coaching at that point. And, and you know, it's, it's really a big crock of shit because I never got to hear that tone out of his voice ever again. Not one more time. I got 40 minutes worth of, you know, his voice was butter on the other end of the phone. Like it was just everything he said sounded perfect and had the great, perfect tones. Everything sounded great. And then it was just pure screaming and yelling from that point on, pretty much. We've never really heard that he had, like, a different way of speaking to a kid when he was recruiting him. Yeah, he had uh, – he spoke, and he had 
you know, I would say based on learning what I know about him now, he probably had a note card in front of him and it had a bullet point of six or eight points that he wanted to go over. And I'm telling you, he went from one point to the other and he just told me every reason why he wanted me to come to Indiana and he thought it was the right decision for me. And this is really the only choice that makes sense for me. And, you know, he just, he gave, he gave a list of reasons why, I mean, there's no way if you have any desire to go there at all, the, the conversation is over. Like he, had, you know, he, I'll steal the line, but he had me at hello on that, <laughs> in that particular phone call. But he didn't know that. Like he went ahead and gave me the whole sales pitch, and it was, you know, it was everything. Everything I would have wanted him to say of the reasons why I wanted to go there, he said them. And you know, I, I he could have told me, hey, I'm going to scream and yell at you for the next five years, and I'd have still gone there. It wouldn't have mattered. It was just fun to listen to, you know, somebody I idolize like that be able to to tell me a bunch of good things about me and why he wanted me. He obviously had studied me and my career a little bit. And, you know, I played AAU on that Bloomington Red team. And so I played with Pat and Ida's son. He's seen me play plenty of times. Um, and, you, and, you, you and Pat were on, and, Sorry, you and Pat were on the same team or you played against each other? No, it's same AAU team. So Pat right. Knight, Pat Graham, Greg Graham, Montross, Nate, Chris Lawson. You indie guys would go down to Bloomington for like practices and Correct. stuff. On yeah, that we team? would drive down two days a week. Uh, Montross, my dad and I would ride down with Montross and his dad, and we would drive down uh, and go to practice twice a week at Bloomington South High School. And would you guys just destroy the competition? That's like an all-star team. Yeah, I mean, it's different nowadays. You know, now I mean, my kids, we play. We in AAU, we would play. You know, 110 games in the summer. Like there are, there are so many games that you play. There's certain tournaments that you play in, you win every game by 40 points. And yeah, we, we would destroy people in a lot of tournaments, but we would probably only play in five tournaments a year. And, you know, we played against Shaq and those guys. We played against Chris Weber and, you know, we played against some really, really good players because you only played, there wasn't the, you know, the Under Armour circuit, the Nike circuit and all those different things. When we go play in a tournament in San Antonio, you know, everybody's at that one tournament. And mm. so we won, we won some of those tournaments and we lost some of them too. Like we were, we were good. We, Funderburg even played with us. We had, you know, he would come over and play and um, he tried, even though he wasn't from Indiana, everyone else was from Indiana that played with us. Pat, uh, but Pat, Cal, Calvert never got to play with us either though, because he broke his foot his senior year. Pat talked to us about the AAU uh, team and, and the Bloomington Red team and exactly what you just said. He explained it as back then there just weren't as many teams. So all the good talent made the few teams that were around. So every team was better than what you have today because the talent is more dispersed. Back then it was all concentrated in a few places. Yeah, no doubt about it. There was there, there was the I think three or four national tournaments, but we would travel and play in San Antonio and Orlando or Jacksonville. Um, we, I think we played one in New York, maybe. Uh, we would travel to these big places. Oh, Las Vegas, we played in one. So we would travel to these big tournaments and play, but there was only four. I mean, heck, my son's going to play in four tournaments in July. Right. So it's it, it's just so much different now. There, you know, money is money's involved, and the shoe teams are the shoe companies are involved, and so it's 
it's a much different deal now than it used to be. Now we got you distracted. You you still haven't committed to IU yet. You're still on this phone call with Knight. So oh so yeah, keep, my bad. So keep my going. Bad. No, no, no. It was no, our bad. Our we, we we have so much to talk to you about. We just want to get everything in. So you're back on the phone. I, call. I got you. So so I sit there and I listen to him. Everybody's staring at me in silence. You know, whispering to themselves for 45 minutes and. And I basically, uh, you know, I just listen. Yes, sir. No, sir. I, yeah, I understand. Yes, I, I agree. Those kinds of things for a long time. And then finally he says, so, so what do you think? And I said, well, you know, it all sounds great. I said, if, are you offering me a scholarship? And he said, yes. And I said, okay, well then, you know, that's, I am accepting it like that. There's no question about that's what I want to do. And, and then I said, you know, I, I think he held this against me for the whole rest of my life. But I said just a stupid thing that an 18-year-old would say at that point, and I just said, Coach, I've, I need to ask you this. I said, I'm supposed to visit Purdue on Friday. Oh. Said, what, should I, what should I do about that? And there was just this eerie silence for about three or four seconds, and he said, well, if I have to answer that, you're committing to the wrong place. And I said, yeah, you're right. I don't know why I even said that. And so that, I was like, Thank you for the call, and, and, you know, I can't wait to come down there. And that was it. Hung up, and, you know, we all high-fived, and, and that was it. I mean, it was, it was a lot of excitement for my household at that point. But uh, it was – yeah, I, I ended it on a sour note. Like, that was just a stupid, stupid thing to say. <laughs> all right. So, you're committed to Indiana. You win the state title with your good buddy, Eric Montrose. And now you are coming to Indiana University – to set the stage here, Indiana is a couple years removed from a national title. Jay Edwards, one of the best players in the country, is going pro. Yeah. Bobby yeah. Knight is the king of college basketball. He's the best coach ever by many people's right. accounts. And right. we, Indiana is still at the top of the basketball world. And you come in with a recruiting class that many write about as the best recruiting class ever. What is it yeah. like the first time you get to an open gym with all the other freshmen that are coming in with you? Yeah, it was um, – that was extremely intimidating. Um, you know, going to open gym, you know, like we we try to pretend like we lifted weights in high school. Like at this point, I'm six foot to 160 pounds going to Indiana. And – I mean, I, I, we did go and weightlift and some of that stuff. We had a, a guy at Lawrence North that helped us do some of that stuff. But, man, I'm telling you, I couldn't have faked it any more than I did. And I didn't have a muscle. There wasn't a muscle on me. Um, and so, you know, when we got down there, we got into that right away. And that was, that was painful. That hurt. A lot of us were that. I mean, Pat Graham wasn't a weightlifter. Obviously, Greg Graham wasn't a weightlifter. Um, we, we were, you know, we just, it was new to us. So that was a tough adjustment right off the bat. You know, I tell you the the biggest. Pat may have told you the same story, but the biggest, you know, eye-opening moment for me was if we fast forward all the way through that summer and we go to October fifteenth, because at that point October fifteenth every year was the first day of practice, uh, and we had we we show up and you know we're all nervous. We've all, we've had workouts and we've had this and that, but always we've heard about how bad the first day of practice is and so we show up there and we come out on the court we come out of the locker room and we oh we get in there and we have uniforms full uniforms in the locker room we're like what in the world so we and then we start to notice what's going on with the uniforms and so all seven of us 
have white uniforms and everybody else has red uniforms. And then we walk out onto the court in assembly hall and there's referees and the clock is on. And so we walk out there and coach Knight said, okay, we're going to play a 40 minute game and we're just going to see how good you freshmen. All I've heard is how good you guys really are. We're just going to see how good you guys are. I want to know what I got to deal with. I didn't know this at the time, but at the time there had already been a meeting and the seven of us were not involved in that meeting. <laughs> and it basically was, if these guys beat you, not only will you all get kicked off the team, but I will personally beat everyone's ass in this gym. <laughs> Every freshman better leave here bleeding and crying by the time he leaves this gym today. And so I'm not kidding you for 40 minutes. They beat the living shit out of us. <laughs> and the scoreboard, I mean, they they could not have beat us any worse. It was a Marion versus Lawrence North type of situation. Like, they destroyed us. With Lyndon Jones uh, on the floor, you were probably straight having flashbacks. Yeah, it wasn't good. There was nothing good for it that came about about that uh, from a freshman standpoint. Other than it was eye-opening and we realized, okay, hang on a minute. One, Eric Anderson is really, really good. Yeah. And, and we didn't realize how good that guy was, even though he was freshman of the year. Um, you know, guys like Jamal is just physical as all get out and just, you know, elbowing you, dribb dribbling the ball down the floor. Like, he had the ball and he was elbowing me. And I'm like, <laughs> how do you even do that? Like, what's happening? Like, I, I don't even know what's going on around here. But it was, it was, it was a tough situation for us to have, but. I honestly like that's just one of the, the genius moves of Bob Knight. I mean, he took a bunch of guys who thought they were the shit and everybody's telling him they're the best class of all time. And he put us in our place, you know, day one, one hour into practice. We knew we had a lot of work to do. So something that Pat alluded to. Well, no, he just straight up talked about and, and mentioned that Eric Anderson admitted it as well early on was the realization by all of you that one of the less heralded freshmen you came in with was pretty phenomenal in Calbert Chaney. Can you remember <laughs> when it clicked for you? Like, oh, he's he's even in a special class, he's extra special? Yeah, I mean, here, okay, so this is, this is you've got to understand, like, this is 100% factual. I'm not, I'm not embellishing this story at all. You, you talked to, you know, going back a, a few minutes where you said, you know, did I think about going to Indiana and some of that stuff? I remember in the back page of the Indianapolis Star where they listed all the scores from time to time or, or they listed all the scores every day in the notes section there. It had different, you know, blurbs about um, about different stuff that would go on. I read in the paper there, Calbert Cheney had signed to go to Indiana. Now, you, you're you're from you guys are from Indiana, right? I am, yes. Is. My family's from Indiana. Uh, okay. My dad, I'm from St. Louis. Okay, so so Indianapolis to Evansville, it's two different states, even though it's literally it's in Indiana. Like, if you're from Indiana, Indianapolis at that point, you, no one ever goes to Evansville because it's just impossible to get to. It's far away or whatever. We didn't compete against any Evansville teams. I didn't know anything about Evansville at all. And I read that Calvert Chaney signs are there. I couldn't have told you if Calvert Chaney was white or black, <laughs> six foot seven or five foot seven. I couldn't have told you anything about Calvert Chaney. And when I read that, I'm like, who the hell are they signing? Like, what in the world? And I would say that was, you know, that was earlier on in my senior year. And I would tell you, that's probably when I really wrote it off. I'm like, look, they're signing people I've never even heard of nowadays. <laughs> And so fast forward to 
AAU. He can't play. He has a broken foot. He doesn't play any all year long. All he can do is stand and shoot. Literally, stand. he can't even jump. Like, Tim Garl won't even let him jump. He can stand and shoot that jumper, and you're like, okay, now I realize he's left-handed. I didn't know that. <laughs> but he's decent. And I'm like, you know, they list him at six foot six for a six foot six guy. Six guy, he's got a smooth jumper. Like he's he's pretty good. And so flat footed, you don't want to play him in a game of horse because he got to spend a whole summer shooting flat footed, and he's legit at, at that. And so I'm like, yeah, he's okay. You know, he's pretty good. And then when we started playing, I'm like, geez, how is this guy this athletic? And I've never heard of him. Like he's he's pretty athletic. And then all of a sudden, after a couple of days, you're like. Where have I been? Like, where have I been living? This guy's the best player on the floor every single day. And, wow. and I'm not kidding. Like, I didn't know anything about Calvert Chase. When we would go to, we all, all we heard about, no kidding, was Funderburk. Right. You know, Funderburk was the best player on our team, the most athletic, the only guy that's going to go to the NBA, blah, 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 blah. That's all you heard about. And so, quite frankly, that's. I, I was a believer in it too. I would have told you the same thing. I would have bet you anything before I ever saw him run up and down the court. There's no way Calvert Cheney would have been the best player on our team. And I'll tell you to this day, he's the best player I've ever played with or against. Wow. Including Shaq. Yeah. Well, Shaq's just, I mean, if Shaq was, was six foot, I would destroy Shaq. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. Shaq's only good because he's seven foot one and weighs three seventy five. Well, it is an interesting. If he was six foot, he was six foot at the hyper, nobody would even pick him. <laughs> it, it is interesting, you know, because I've even seen him get into it uh, on the TNT show. Of like, it's sort of impossible to compare the great bigs of all time versus everybody else. You know, it's it's just apples and oranges. Um, but with this freshman squad, as you're going, are you starting to look forward to what's going to happen in your sophomore year where, like, hey, you're going to need some time to really develop your game to find a role on this team? Is that something you're coming to grips with right away when you're surrounded by that much talent? You know, um, you also got to go back into what we're like. like. Like, even though I'm describing myself now somewhat humbly, you know, at the time, I was a cocky-ass 18-year-old that I thought I could have played for the Celtics at that point. Like, I mean, I if you put me on the floor, I feel like I could have benefited the team in some way, no matter what level you put me at. Like, I was cocky. I, I really felt like I could play. Or, you know, the basket's the same height everywhere. I could shoot no matter what. And so, you know, I, I didn't look at it that way. And I started, you know, it's funny because people don't remember your careers, and especially like kids now. You know, they would always ask, well, did you start and things like that? I mean, I started probably seven or eight games my freshman year. Like, you know, Coach Knight's weird like that. You have a good week of of uh, practice and, you know, and, it, and you're not playing Michigan's Fab Five. You know, he's liable to start anybody on that team. And I started, it might, I might be exaggerating, I might have started four or five games, but I started several games my freshman year. And, you know, you get to play, I get to play a decent amount and it was okay I'll tell you where I never saw it coming was um, after you know, in the summer of my after my freshman year, I hurt my knee in in pickup ball playing at Assembly Hall, and you know it we did I didn't have to have surgery, but I had to sit out a little while and and the first day of practice, I like this is how oblivious I was to some things. Like the first day of practice, Coach Knight calls me in the locker room after practice. And, you know, I, I had played pretty good. I felt pretty good about things. 
And he said, uh, then, you know, how I, well, you might not know. First of all, I walked in his locker room and he sits butt naked in a leather chair. <laughs> Swear to God, ask any player. They'll all, they'll all tell you the same thing. He's butt naked, uncircumcised in a leather, red leather chair. It's awful. It's well, awful. Is he Wait, just like right out of the shower or why do you? Way too much information I'm giving you. No, 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 no. We need it all. We need it all. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. I, so is this the first time the you've seen him open. like that? Is this the first time you've seen him like that or your whole freshman year? Oh, no, no, no. This no, was no. common. That first, first, first week of freshman year, you see that. At some point in time, you see it. You see it every week. You just know escaping it. Wait, wait, wait. He was he's liable to call you over to watch one play of film before practice starts. Like this would this is a regular thing. He watched like this guy prepared like any no one you've ever seen. Like one thing I can tell you I learned from him. I still teach, you know, my people that I train in, in sales right now. I'll never forget, I'll live my whole life by it, but failing to prepare is preparing to fail. And this guy prepared unlike anything I've ever seen. It didn't matter what it was for. He prepared for it. Yeah, he just didn't and prepare so, a wardrobe. He, he, he did not do that. He didn't give a crap what he had on. Wait, 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 Most wait. of the time, it was nothing. But 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 there's there's still there's still a process to get naked. He doesn't show up at work naked. So is it is it that he's like fresh out of the shower and doesn't, or he's going to go to the shower, or he's just one of the one of those. I don't know if he had been there yet or hadn't made it there. But hey, I, this the weird part isn't even that. The weird part's spelling and dockets are sitting in there with him. Like like I'm I'm there for thirty seconds. Like this is a process that's taking place. For hours so i don't even want to know some of the stuff that would would happen in there i mean who knows it's it's just hard to tell but he would call us over literally you'd come across his locker room is, is diagonal across the assembly hall floor from ours so he might call you over and a manager comes sprinting in out of breath and say hey todd uh coach needs to see you so you know i'm i'm quick jogging my way over there to get there real quick I might walk in the door and that's what you see. And obviously at first you're in complete shock. You don't know what to do, but then as you get older and as a sophomore, like it, I didn't, it didn't even register with me. I probably didn't even look his direction, but we might watch one play on the TV and it would be, it might be, he would look at it and it would be a, a practice film and it would be like, what are you doing right here? Like, you know, where help side defense is. What are you doing right here? And then I would say, I, I don't know. I mean, I'd make something. That's why I became the answer, man. And he'd be like, and he'd rewind it back like four seconds and be like, what are you doing? Like, how can you, could you have been thinking when you were standing right there? And, you know, I, I didn't learn early enough that you just keep your mouth shut and wait for him to tell you to get the F out of the locker room. You were the answer, man. So you had to say something. I was the answer, man. I, I, that, I didn't learn not to be the answer, man, until I was already the answer, man, and it was too late. <laughs> then I had to basically give answer. You know, you can't, you can't back off from it at that point. Now you have to give answers. So first practice your sophomore year. First practice my sophomore year, I walk in and he goes, Todd, uh, I think we're going to redshirt you. What do you think about that? And I just am giving you right what I'm giving you right now. Like, I just stared at him. And I was like, well, I mean, if that's what you want me to do, I'll do it. And he goes, well, it's really in your best interest. And he starts telling me all the reasons why I'm a dumbass for not thinking it's the best decision in the whole world. And so I wa literally walked out of there. I'm not kidding you. I'm a 19-year-old kid at the time. I call my mom bawling crying my mom lives in indy i'm like mom i'm gonna have to do this for five years like this 
he's going to redshirt me. Yes, that is definitely what I needed to do. And it's a it's an honor to get to be there for five years. Like I, I see that now at 19 year old. I thought it was the worst news I could have possibly gotten. And I called my mom crying. She drove all the way to Bloomington, took me out to dinner and tried to tell me the reasons why it'll be okay. And I was like, no, it's awful. It's terrible. Nothing good is about it. But, you know, obviously I was just, I was spoiled and I just couldn't imagine going through a whole nother summer of what we had just gone through. Did you think about transferring? No, you know, loss and transfer and Thunderbird was already gone. Um, you know, transferring was never a thing I like, I ever really considered. I mean, you know, Bailey was coming in and all we had heard about is, you know, the Messiah is coming next year. So literally the words out of his mouth were, you guys better figure out who's going to be playing with Damon. And that's before he ever showed up on campus. Wow. Um, and, and so, you know, and, and, and Damon is awesome. Damon was great. He was light years above, above a lot of us in some, in some different categories. So, I mean, it, I'm not saying he didn't deserve it, but Coach Knight had him slated into play from the eighth grade on. Well, now, as part of the reason that you would not consider transferring from IU because you were a basketball player in Bloomington and there was a lot of really cute girls around? Uh, yeah, I'm giving, you, I'm giving you every negative that there is. I am not telling you about you know, all the positives that go along with it. Like, you know, everywhere you go, you sign autographs and that's cool. And, you know, it, it makes you feel great. Like I, 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 I hate to say, no, it would be terrible for like Steph Curry or Michael Jordan or somebody that has had to do it their whole life. But truly it's honor. Like I love it today. The kid asked me for his autograph. I know it's for his dad because the kid has absolutely no idea who I am at all. But, you know, those kinds of things at that time, it was awesome. We loved, all of us loved going and signing autographs and dealing with kids and stuff like that. We had a good group of guys when it came to that. Nobody, nobody was really bigger than that except for Damon. And I'm not saying that negatively. I'm saying Damon signs, you know, when we would come into the locker room, um, there was probably, I'll, I'll say on an average day, there was three or four pieces of mail on my chair. And that was a letter from somebody or somebody here sending me one of my basketball cards to have me sign it and send it back. And I'll say three or four. There were some days there was zero. There were some days there was 10. Mm -hmm. Every day there was 50 on Bailey's. Like every day Bailey had, you know, 25 to 50 things he had to sign every single day. And, and I say had to sign because I'm going right back to acting like it's a, it's a negative thing where it's not, if you were honored to be in that position. So, yes, there is so many great things that come along with it. Girls happen to be one of them. Uh, and, and it was a big one. It's a big one of them. Uh, for, a, for a 19-year-old horny kid, it's a big deal to have, you know, dads throwing their daughters at you. Well, wow. let's talk about <laughs> this for a second. That's a crazy way to think about yes. it. <laughs> so you're a 19-year-old kid, and at the same time in Martinsville, Indiana, is a girl named Mandy Payton, who became Mandy Pankowski, my now (laughs) ex-wife, who Uh is, like many girls of the time, madly in love with number 30, Todd Leary. Let's not mince words here, Todd. You were a good-looking guy. You were a stud basketball player. Not freakishly tall. No, you were were a, a poster for many including my ex-wife, 
who one of the first conversations we ever had when we met at Indiana, she told me about how big of a crush she had on you and that you, she had a picture of you on her wall in her bedroom in Martinsville, oh Indiana. So, well, um, the, the, only, the, the only thing I'm glad you haven't said up to this point is at some point in time, I met her and did something really, really stupid and became the biggest asshole that she knows. <laughs> no. Because I'll take all the compliments. That's awesome and fun to hear. And, and now that I'm a fat old 48-year-old, you know, I can I can record that part of the story and let, let my kids listen to it and then realize I will have an, always been a fat old dork. Uh, but but that's that's funny for you to say that. Can I read the text that you sent me when I put in when we were setting up this interview? <laughs> Would you mind if I read sure, it? Sure. So, no, no, so I texted Todd when we were setting this up and I told Todd that when we talked on the podcast that I had to tell him about my ex-wife who had a giant crush on him in the early 90s. And it has stayed with her her whole life, and we're still very close friends. And Todd's response was, quote, And tell your ex that if she and I hooked up now, we would both be exes. She an ex-wife, and I'm an ex-convict. Have a great rest of your day. <laughs> uh, so, Todd, I'm going to ask you a favor. I want to yeah. call my ex-wife right now, unbeknownst to her, and get her on the phone. Can we do Sweet. this? Yeah, sure. Okay. Of All right. Let me try to make this happen. <laughs> All right. So, Todd, don't say anything at the beginning. I'm going to reel her in a little bit. Let's see if she picks up. Mandy, can you hear me? Mandy, I can't hear Mandy, can you, can you hear Hello? me? Yeah, now I can. Now oh, I can. Hi. Sorry. I, we had some technical issues there. How you doing? Um, good, good. We're still at the Bulls here. Okay. So, you're on the podcast right now with Ward. Ward, say hi. Hi, Mandy. Hey, Ward. Uh, and you're also on with our guest. Uh, Todd, can you say hi? Hi, Mandy. Hi. <laughs> now, hang on a minute. Ward got a real sexy hi. And I got some goofy pool hi. What's that about? I think that was a schoolgirl hi. Yeah. That was, that, was a, that was not a sexy hi like hi, Ward. <laughs> I don't think I gave Ward a sexy hi either. I heard it sexy. Okay. Hello, Todd. Hey, Mandy. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you? Oh, man. I'm better now. (laughs) Mandy, Mandy, do you want to tell Todd a little bit about um, your history with him? The fuck are you doing, Eric? <laughs> <laughs> yes, Todd would love to hear this. Can't say that on the right on the podcast. <laughs> uh, Mandy, were you a fan of Todd Leary's when you were younger? I hate you. I hate you so much. Yes, That's why you divorced him, but you can't fan. hate him for this. Big fan. What, what did you have? I in- I big fan of Hang on, Ma- Mandy. Mandy, I have a question. Yeah. He said you had a picture of me on your wall in your bedroom. What picture could that possibly have been? It was from a magazine. Oh, but it, it it okay, it had like the whole recruiting class in it. Oh, but... no, 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 no. <laughs> hey, hey guys, edit that back out. <laughs> the picture is only supposed to be of me. This picture's only of me. It was a much better story that way. But I think I did get one from the newspaper later that was just you, and it okay. was on my bulletin board. Good recovery. Thank you. <laughs> so, Mandy. My ego is better. Mandy, who was your crush back then? I think that's pretty clear, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. 
would you would you would you like by the way uh for everybody listening this whole thing happening right now could be a very good explanation why mandy's my ex-wife mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah she didn't yeah, hesitate to say she hated you, did she? Because I just couldn't get over my crush of Todd Leary, and that just came between us. <laughs> well, Mandy, we don't want to keep you, but would you like to say anything to your schoolgirl crush who's on the phone with you right now? I hope you're doing well. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. That was as sexy as I hope you're doing well as you can with me. I appreciate it. Me? Maybe if I had some prep work for this, I don't, I like, I've been at the no. pool all day with my kids. I don't know what to say. It's okay. I, mm-hmm. I'll, I'm going to, in my own mind, I'm going to make it out like, like you just had I'm, the best day of your life and this made your day. I'm going to pretend like I handled this a lot better than I actually have. <laughs> Look, guys, I'm just going to throw this great. out. Mandy's back in the Midwest right now with the kids. I don't know if either of you are seeing anybody, but you could totally meet somewhere in the middle of St. Louis and Evansville for dinner. I'm just putting it out there. Uh, I'm in. I'm in. (laughs) What's the driving time between Evansville and St. Louis? So it can't be more than three hours. I think Mandy's already in an Uber. <laughs> my uh, my girlfriend is is in an Uber also on her way to stab me. Right? Now. <laughs> no, fair enough. Just, fair enough. Just 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 as soon as she hears this, trust me. <laughs> All right. Well, well Ma- I'm sure I'm a real threat. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mandy, uh, thank you for doing this, even though you had no choice and you had no idea you were doing this. But I thought it would be fun. Eric, I'm going to hurt you later. Okay. Say goodbye <laughs> to Todd. <laughs> Goodbye, Todd. It was great to meet you. It was very nice talking to you. Mandy, you do have to call your dad and tell him. I, yeah, I'm going to do that. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Say hi to the kids. goodbye. Bye-bye. See ya. All right, Todd, you still there? Yeah, you're uh, dead, by the yeah, way. Yeah, I am. That, what more could she do to me? <laughs> you're dead. <laughs> All right. So, All Todd, right. thank you for doing that, by the way. She she is going to be talking about that for a long time. So, <laughs> it's my pleasure. I want to go back to uh, on something a little more serious. You're a star player from high school. You join a giant recruiting class. You're playing at Indiana University. Like you said, you started a handful of games. You had a role on the team. And then you're asked to redshirt your sophomore year. You weren't that hurt. You were going to play that year. The idea that that would happen, Pat Graham and I were actually texting about this. The idea that any coach would go to a player in today's game and say in their sophomore year, hey, we just want to redshirt you to make room for other players, and you know, you'll be here for a fifth year, it, it's just non-existent. It does not happen. Yeah, it doesn't. It, it's, it's basically an injury issue right now. Right. What ultimately... What was it that allowed you to have, I mean, really, like the wisdom beyond your years to accept that, work your tail off that year, and just be ready then for your redshirt sophomore year? Well, do you think I was going to walk into his office and say, no, coach, I think that's a terrible idea. I'm going to go ahead and not redshirt. I'm pretty sure my playing time would have suffered from that situation. I didn't want to do it. I did not see it as a positive at that point in any throughout the entire year. Like, I didn't. I hated every second of it, and I didn't get to travel for the away games if it was during, you know, during the week or for school. Um, so that part sucked. Um, like there's just, I just didn't see a lot of positives to it at the time. Now I used it. I did end up having knee surgery, um, so I used it for the right things. Like I, I got more healthy, and um, you know, I, I got more. I got bigger in physical. I probably gained about 15 pounds that year. 
the good good pounds and so that was a good thing for me um and it was good everything was good about it after the fact but during the during my five years i hated every second of it so one more question uh, about this kind of track from from when you committed to indiana and that phone call with coach knight who at that time was your idol to now being in a locker room where he's buck naked and asking you or not asking you telling you that you're going to redshirt there's about a, a little more than a year has passed how does your relationship with coach knight and your perception of him change from that phone call to now when he's asking you and telling you to redshirt um okay so we started out uh, our freshman year, you know, we had the the eye-opening practice where where he broke us down, and then we started the year out ten and zero, and we were undefeated going into the Big Ten season. So all of a sudden, we're feeling great about ourselves again, and I think, you know, he's kind of believing we're pretty darn good too. Now, the Big Ten had some really really good teams that year. I mean, you know, Illinois' team with Kendall Gill and Bardo and those guys. I mean, those guys they were good. Uh, Michigan's team with I can't even remember everybody that was on that team, but they were really, really good. Um, and so, you know, we went we went into the Big Ten season and we lost, you know, eight out of our ten games. Eight, we were eight ten, eight out of our uh, we only won eight out of our eighteen games, and it was every loss. Like I, I've people ask me from time to time, what's the you know, what's the toughest thing about playing for Coach Knight? And and I'll tell you, it's the losses. It's every single loss was like a death in the family. I mean, you're not allowed to smile, you're not allowed to laugh, you're not allowed to act like a human. Like you literally have to act like it's the worst thing in the entire world. And if they any coach sees you doing anything different, you're you're crushed like you're dead they will they will treat you so bad it's awful and that that's pretty much everybody like everybody it's not just because you know i'm not calvert or not alan henderson or something i mean everybody has to kind of act the same way and so that part of it going through that year and then that you know that summer you you've heard that uh, audio recording i would love to know how the manager was able to accomplish getting that audio because uh, that took some serious guts um, but, but, you know, that's what our summer was like. You know, we, we started as soon as, as soon as the season ended, you know, we started practicing the next Monday and we were lifting weights in the morning and going to school and then working at night and then practicing after that. So it was, it sucked. So my perception of him was, was, you know, he makes this extremely difficult. This is your whole life. There is nothing else like he he is mean and loud and aggressive and um, you know he's he, he's I'm gonna call him unfair from the standpoint of uh, from a standpoint of time like his time is extremely valuable as we would all guess it is and and your time isn't worth anything like you're, you there is no value to the your time of your life at all if he tells you he's gonna be there you know he would tell us we're gonna watch film. We would practice, go eat training table, and then come back to watch film. And we would he would say, "All right, go eat and be back here by seven o'clock, and we're going to watch film." Well, he might not come back till nine thirty, and literally we just sit there till nine thirty, and then we watch film. You, you know that's that's funny to tell the story if he does it once. Uh, you know it's it's miserable and ridiculous after it happens. You know three times a week. And by the time you're, you know, you, you can predict all these things by the time you're a junior and senior. 
And then later on, it just becomes irritating and pisses you off. So I wouldn't say I got to the point where I hated him and was pissed off at the end of my freshman year or starting my sophomore year. But, but you know, I had been through enough really frustrating situations that it wasn't, it wasn't all fun and games. I can surely tell you that. So, you know, and I think we, we can chart uh, uh, your thoughts on Coach Knight as, as we go through your career there and afterwards. But one thing we got to talk to Pat a little bit about, and I'd like to get your point of view on, is when you're talking about we can objectively say a basketball genius, it's like, okay, so where where does that come from? What is that? How do you define it? Pat's overriding answer was it was the players he put together on the court. Uh, A.J. Moye had told us earlier it was like Coach Knight was building a car, and he knew how to get all the complementary pieces together on the court. So in addition to that, you know, as, as far as what you'd see him break down with the film or maybe his m- motivating tactics, his, his psychological approach to, to you guys, to the game, what, what little insights could you give us to, to reveal how he ended up winning three national championships and being so revered? Yeah, and, and you know, winning the three national championships is obviously incredible. Um, the teams that he did it with are are what's really remarkable to me. I mean, the the 76 team, I would probably tell you there's there's some other coaches across the country that could have won the national championship with that team. One team, very, very few. If, if any other coaches could win the national championship with that team, I couldn't name who they are. The, the 87 team, there isn't another coach in the world to this day that could win a national championship with that team. And the way he puts them together and the way he gets people to buy into what your role is and what you need to do to make the team better uh, is his genius, in my opinion. And, and that, that is, um, you know, he, he honestly would have told you at the time that he thought he could win a national championship with Todd Leary as his guard. <laughs> and I don't think that would have been a consensus across the country <laughs> with other coaches. It would have been. So it would have that, been with Mandy. It would have been with Mandy. Yeah, I, and I appreciate that very much. <laughs> I had two people in my corner, but, but I mean that you know that's kind of his, um, you know that's kind of his thing. Like I think he he tried to put it to he tried to put a team together, and and you know like I do, I do I still do radio things every week, and and I, a buddy of mine does a radio show every day, and every Friday I talk to him, and and obviously this time of year. Um, we, uh, we talk a lot about recruiting and things like that. And I'm telling like, this guy's a buddy of mine. So I'm not talking behind his back. Like I get so mad at him every week because every week he wants to talk about the top, you know, we didn't get this top 50 recruit in the country and all that. And I try to tell him over and over again, the reason why you love Indiana is because they won with guys like me. They, now, obviously they had the Calverts, they had the Allen Hendersons. You know, they had those players, but they also they mixed them with guys like me. And I don't care if they don't get if, if five guys are coming in. I want to know how those five guys fit within the team. I don't want five five star recruits like it doesn't. That doesn't make any sense. And I'm not a Kentucky fan. I don't like the way they play. I don't like the way they're coached. I don't like the way they play together. They're miserable. They would be a miserable team to root for because every year you get, you don't know what you get. I, you, you are preaching to the choir here. Amen. So let's go to your. I, I love your your take on Knight and his and his genius. I, I love that. 
So let's go to your sophomore year when you agree to to take the red shirt. You talked a little bit about this messiah of basketball coming in from Bedford in Damon Bailey. We've been told by Calbert and by Pat that Damon, the second Damon walked on the floor and uh, into an open gym, any f- negative thought that anybody had about, oh, this guy coming in with his big ego washed away because he was such a good teammate. But you're in a unique position, Todd, because you're taking a red shirt. You're a six foot two, six foot three guard. Here comes Damon Bailey. He's a freshman. In many ways, I could see a 19-year-old kid looking at it like he's this freshman's taking my spot. They're basically telling me to sit out so he can play. Did you have any resentment before you got to know Damon? Did any of that figure into your head? Uh, it did from the standpoint, I, I think we all kind of had the, the same thoughts. You know, we were getting blasted, you know, game after game. We, we got dusted in some games our freshman year in the Big Ten. And, you know, all we kept hearing was, you know, you guys better figure out who's going to be playing with Damon next year. And that's just not – I mean, that's such not a Coach Knight thing to do or be like. I've never heard him be like that about anyone else. And so we're all – say, yes, resentment, I don't know is the word. I, I was ready to take the challenge on and be like, all right, let's 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 – you're from – Hillbilly Bedford. <laughs> and so, you know, that's the that's the kind of way I took it. I know I'm being point blank honest with you about it. Like I, I took it as a challenge and, and I was ready to prove that I could play just as well as he did. Now, he is he's he's an outstanding player. Um, physically he was, you know, he was stronger than me and probably faster than me and he could jump higher than me. Um you know, I, the one thing he couldn't do as well is, is shoot, in my opinion. Um, but he, he really worked hard at shooting, and he became probably just as good a shooter, if not better than me. Um, and so, you know, I respected him because um, he came and he backed it up. Like, he, he didn't come in, and all of a sudden I thought, all right, well, it was a bunch of BS. He's not any good at all. He is really good. Do I think he would be the all-time leading scorer if he played in Indianapolis? No, not, not a chance in the world. Right. Um, but but I mean, he is he's lived a different life than any of us can ever, you know, think about what it, we live the life that we all dreamed about as a kid, wanting to be idolized like he has always been. So you make it through the year where you had to put in all the work, but now uh, you're going into what will be your sophomore year as a player, your second season. A guy named Alan Henderson shows up. What what are you thinking going into this season? Are are you guys? I think you you start off ranked in the the top five. Uh, are you guys? Do you is it ever even? Sp- sp- do you speak of the final four? Do you think? Uh, do you ever speak with Coach Knight or the other coaches or the other players of? Hey guys, we want to win the Big Ten. Hey guys, we want to get to the final four. Or is that just understood? And all you talk about is winning the next game. Yeah, everything with Coach Knight is winning the Big Ten. Um, we we talked about, you know, winning the Big Ten from day one. It was never a Final Four or national championship or any of that. Now, he talked a lot. I can remember him sitting down having a conversation with us about winning championships. And at that time, you'll remember back, we played the Hoosier Classic and the Indiana Classic mm-hmm. uh, in, like, December time frame. 
Um, and, and that I remember him having those conversations with us at the time. And he was saying, guys, these are championships. These are like you want to win both of these games because you want to win a championship. You want to, at the end of your career, you want to be able to look back and say, you know, have a pile of rings and a pile of uh, trophies and, and a bunch of stuff that you can say, we went and won this. Now, in reality, no team had ever lost a game in the Indiana Classic or the Hoosier Classic right. prior to me getting there. So we sure as hell didn't want to be the first team to ever lose a game <laughs> in one of those. And I swear that there was more pressure on the Indiana Classic and the Hoosier Classic than you could possibly imagine because you did not want to be the first team to ever lose a game. And we had I, – I can remember we had a game we were behind at halftime in at Assembly Hall. And and I'm telling you, I don't know if everybody – I don't think we talked about it out loud, but I can tell you I was scared to death that we would lose that game because you just can't even imagine what would happen after that point. Um, but, but you know, just winning championships. And so we discussed – we always talked about the Big Ten. Like it was – we wanted to win the Big Ten. I think he could have felt like – you know, uh, there was no turn at that time. Uh, so, you know, winning the Big Ten was a big freaking deal. And if you won the Big Ten, you, you were probably putting yourself in a pretty good position to be seated pretty high and have a chance at the tournament. And we never discussed national championships or things like that. If we did, I, I sure don't remember it. It wasn't like the topic of conversation. Did Knight have specific other team? We know his hatred for Purdue. Uh, were there other teams, coaches, players in the Big Ten? Kentucky. That, oh, okay. So, no, like, in the big in the Big Ten, not necessarily Kentucky. Yeah, he hated Kentucky. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and so would would that be something that like in practice he's just yelling at you guys about Purdue and Kentucky to keep you motivated? Is that is that a specter that was around all the time? It's really not like that whole thing about uh, the the thing that you heard where he said, you know, I hate losing to Purdue. You know, if you think I'm going to sit around with an eight and ten record, you know that whole thing. Like that was fairly rare for him to single out Purdue like that. Okay. Honestly, in in his mind, I think it gives them too much credit. If he thinks that they're that important to him, I don't think he wants to put them on that kind of pedestal. And so that was pretty rare. If I, if I was Purdue, I'd feel pretty good about that because, you know, he didn't do that with everybody. I think I think he liked to beat Ohio State given it's his alma mater. Um, you know, I know he, he hated Kentucky. He he hates people that talk shit. So Kentucky fans talk a lot of crap. So he liked beating Kentucky a lot. Um, you know, I, you're kind of going chronologically, so I don't want to skip too far ahead. But, but you know, my, my fifth year, my senior year, yeah. you know, we lost the first game of the year to Butler, yeah. and then our next game was against number one Kentucky. Right, hold and, on, like, That's hold a on. game I could tell you. Yeah, 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 hold on. Right. We will definitely get into yeah. that. So yeah, all right. let's go to your now redshirt sophomore year, and we won't spend a lot of time on the regular season because something happens at the end of the season that we got to get into. But you are the pit bull. You're the guy that Pat Graham says he would – oh, do we lose you? Nope, I'm here. Oh, okay. You're the guy that Pat Graham says he would go into a street fight with. Are You've sat out a year. Are you frothing at the mouth when this season starts? Like, Are you just ready to come out guns blazing? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, I can specifically remember that year, um, being a situation that, that I, you know, I had felt the year off of, of actual competition. Like I, uh, I consider myself and I'm giving myself a compliment in my own mind by saying this, but I consider myself very competitive and I, I love playing games and I love, uh, 
you know, I, I'm not a huge practice person, to be honest with you. Like, I, my high school and college coaches would probably jump on board and say, like, I'm not the best practice player in the world. But I love games. And, and uh, being having to sit that whole thing out, uh, see, that really, you know, that was a tough year. So I was so ready for practice to start because I knew we had to get through that in order to get games to go. So, yeah, I was I was chomping at the bit. But you lost to UCLA and Kentucky in like two of the first games of the season. Were you afraid like this this team, which everybody had really high expectations for, was there ever a doubt at that point of what that team would turn into? Uh, and 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 was it like, oh gosh, guys, maybe a wake up call that actually ended up making you guys stronger as the season went on? Yeah, I mean, um, I I will say. When you're playing and you're in the midst of it, you don't look at things uh, as a whole. You don't look at the season kind of as a whole. Everything is so right in your face at the moment. And so, you know, like right now, if Michigan State loses at the beginning of the year, which they they, they do almost every year, mm-hmm. I think everybody kind of sits back and goes, yeah, well, you know, by the end of the year, Tom Izzo will have them playing really well. And they almost always do. Mm-hmm. And, and I think Coach Knight had that exact same – um, skill set, and I think he had that same plan and did all that. But as a player, when you're in the middle of it and you lose to, yeah, I mean, we lost badly to, to uh, UCLA out in Springfield, Massachusetts in the Hall of Fame game, and you lose, you lose that game like that early in the year. Um, you know, it set us back mentally. I would definitely say that we had super high expectations with Allen coming in. Um, you know, we. We were pretty excited about how good we thought we were going to be. And, and uh, you know, we got dismantled pretty badly early on. And I would say it hurt us. It hurt our confidence. And it definitely uh, – it probably was – I know I can tell you for a fact we would not have beaten UCLA by 20-plus points in the regional had we not lost to them by probably close to 20 points early in the year. Was there a moment for you, Todd, in that year, which is now your just second year playing – where things started to click for you, where you got comfortable a little bit with your role, with the speed of the college basketball game, with the talent that was around you and that you were playing against. Can you pinpoint it to anything that year where you kind of, where it it stopped just being an ego thing of you thinking like, yeah, I can play here. And it really became a reality of, yes, I can impact this team positively. You know, um, I'm not, I'm not going to blame injuries um, and I'm not going to use them as an excuse, but, but I, I started to develop a lot more tendonitis in my knees, and I started to hurt a lot more than I had, you know, all the way up to my career at that point. I had never had bad ankles. I, you know, I played my entire career and never even take my ankles. Um, and, and I, like I, but my knees started to hurt, and I, I had had that scope surgery and some things like that, and and so my sophomore year, I, I would say I had more of the sophomore, you know, jinx than anything. Like I did not, I didn't think I played very well. I didn't feel very good. I felt less athletic. Like when I came in as a freshman, I could dunk. Um, you know, I, I wasn't athletic, but I, I, could, I had to do enough of what I needed to. At my sophomore year in college, I couldn't, I mean, heck, I could barely touch the rim. Like, I, I was beat up a little bit, and, and I think I, I actually kind of got worse throughout that year. Um, physically, I didn't have a good year, and I didn't play very well, and I think my confidence dropped, and, and no, I think it was pretty much exactly the opposite of what, you know, I finished it off, obviously, great in the Final Four, but, it, you know, had it not got to that point, 
obviously I wouldn't have played a second in the final four because the first 39 and a half minutes of the game, I didn't get to play at all. So um, I, I hadn't put myself in a position to, to play very many minutes. And, and honestly, like I can tell you, I didn't really deserve, I didn't feel great about my game at that point. And physically I, I felt like I was getting less, less uh, uh, athletic and, and I just wasn't getting any better at that point. I felt like you, you didn't play a ton that year. But it's funny to hear you talk about how much of a struggle that year was for you. Do you know what you shot from the three-point line that year? Uh-uh. 54.2%. So, probably like six for 11. Like, well, whatever, not, man. We'll take it. <laughs> you, you watch Indiana games. We'll take it. I'll take six of 11 from somebody. I'll take six of 111. Now you guys, yeah, the, the, so the the whole team, you know, getting back up into the top five, but then you lose at Michigan and at Purdue in two of your last three games. I mean, did, going into the tournament, was there any sort of feeling of oh boy, we need to really get our shit together to to make a run, or was it like oh man, we're so mad we ended the regular season on kind of a sour note. Let's go on a revenge tour and just tear through this field. You know, um, this is this is also, I think, a part of Coach Knight's genius um, in that he he did he had great timing with a lot of things. Now, I, I think since he's had some poor timing on stuff, but uh, he had great timing with a lot of things. And you know, we did end that regular season about as bad as you can get, uh, for, especially from an expectation standpoint. Um, and for, for all intents and purposes, you know, we should have gone into the tournament and Coach Knight should have been throwing a fit and, and ranting and raving and, and going crazy and, um, you know, treating us like we probably felt like we deserved at that point. But he didn't. And, and we were all kind of, I think, taken back by the fact that, you know, he was really kind of loose and he was he was kind of letting us have some fun and it kind of caught us off guard and we all of a sudden were like, Hey, wait a minute. Why? I was practice only 45 minutes long and we didn't run any. And we basically shot free throws for most of the time. Like, and, and all of a sudden we were like, okay, you know, let's not say anything. I don't want to, I don't want to jinx it, but he, he kind of figured out like we were beat down. Like we were, I think we were beat down. And at the end of the year, we needed, we needed to not be browbeat anymore. And that whole thing with, I think you'll remember uh, in the tournament, we went out to Albuquerque, and that was when the whole whip thing happened. Yeah. Right, with uh, Calvert. Yeah. Okay. So that was just, that, that was the corniest thing. That's one of those examples where you can sit there and be like, man, people can blow anything out of proportion. Because we were walking around the streets, which we were excited to get to have some free time. We were walking around the streets, and they had a little, you know, these little uh, booths and stuff set up, and Pat Knight bought this whip for can't even tell you what reason we had for no reason whatsoever we don't even like it was he did stupid stuff all the time and he bought this whip and he got on the bus and he had this whip in his hand and his dad obviously sits right at the front of the bus all the time and his dad took the whip from him when we got when we were all getting on the bus and we're like he didn't take it from him because he was mad he was like what in the hell are you doing and so he had the whip and we get off of the bus and for some reason he either like slaps calvert with it on the butt or pretends like he's going to hit him with it i can't even remember now but people turn that into the biggest 
craziest thing that, you know, they turned it racist and they turned it, he whips his player, you know, abuse and all kinds of stuff. I'm like, Jiminy, Chris, that was no more scripted than anything. Like it was, it was so ridiculous how they turned that thing around. And honestly, like this is, this is part of his genius that I'm, I'm kind of alluding to, but he did it every single year is when it got down to the tournament time, he figured out a way to do something where he put all the attention on him either him doing something or saying something stupid or getting mad at somebody or blowing up in a press conference or making the faces or doing something, he'd put the attention on him and took it off of us. Mm. And I didn't notice it at the time, but as I got older and we started to recognize, like my, my fifth year, we're all sitting there going, what's he going to do? What's he going to do now? (laughs) What goofy ass thing is he going to come up with to, to take the attention off of us? Did, did you ever walk into the locker room in Albuquerque that year and Coach Knight was naked with the whip? Because that would change things a little. Yeah, that would have been – you've just put a whole other spin on that <laughs> that I don't even want to think about. I'm way too old and, and immature to think yeah, about that. So right before Albuquerque, before we get to your one shining moment, if you will, you play in the second round someone who you alluded to before. You play Shaquille O'Neal. Also known as Neon Bordeaux. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. What do you remember from that game? I remember Nova held him to 36 or 38 <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. The kid from but Chesterton it was, coming it through. It was, in, in reality, like, no kidding. I'm, I, would, I know Coach Knight would tell you to this day, like, like our game plan was executed. It really was. Like, it, our game plan was Nova was going to guard him as physically as he possibly could. And wait, wait, you mean we Ricky? Gonna, you mean Ricky Rhodes? Ricky Rowe. Ricky Rhodes, yep. Ricky yep. Rowe. Rick, he had Ricky Rowe, he had a, he had his bag of money and all that, his tractor. <laughs> he got his pretty tractor and all that. And he was uh, you know, he was gonna body him up and physical him as much as he could. We really didn't double team, if at all. We we may have a little bit, but not very much. And it was, hey, you know what? Make them throw it to him every single time. He's not gonna beat us. If he scores, if he scores 54, they're not going to beat us because he's going to have shot the ball. Their game plan is going to be screwed. Everything is going to be thrown off kilter because we're not going to double team and we're going to let them throw it in. And he's going to play against a six foot eight guy all night long. And they're going to think they can beat us that way. And, and I'm telling you, they fell right into it. They threw him the ball every time down the court. They had no offense. They, I mean, the rest of us literally just stood there and waited to rebound because nobody else did anything in that game. And it was, that was, you know, that was more a part of, we, we really got to believe in Coach Knight's genius as much as everybody else does. Trust me, he would come up with some shit and we'd be like, really? Like, we're <laughs> really, gonna, really gonna do that? And then it would work. And we'd be like, okay, you know, whatever you say, we drink, we'll drink the Kool-Aid again. Wow. All right. So you come back uh, with the rematch against UCLA in the Elite Eight, and you just smoke them in one of the most satisfying games for an Indiana fan, I think, ever because oh. of because of many things. The loss at the beginning of the year, for sure, but also because there is this aura around UCLA with all the championships that they're somehow better than everybody. And so anytime you get a chance to beat them and beat them in the tournament and beat them in the tournament with a final four slot on the line and just wax them, wax them from beginning to end. And now you're playing Duke. Wait, I just want to ask when you whip on UCLA like that and you earn your trip to the final four, 
is that is that a locker room where Coach Knight is happy or smiling at all? Uh, how much does he let you be happy or smiling? How much is it? Hey, boys, we still got work to do. Oh uh, no, it was it was there was a lot of happiness. Like he was, I you, there definitely wasn't a letdown. Like, hey, you know what? We, you know, everybody was throwing their arms up and you know cracking champagne. But everybody was happy and excited. Going to the Final Four is a big deal. Not only I think teams prove it every year still to this point. Like you not only have to be really good, you've got to be lucky and things got to put your way and you've got to get, you know, the right things got to happen at the right time. And so there's, a, there's some joy. and You can take joy in getting to the final four. Like I definitely, I think every player that plays at IU that doesn't win a national championship would tell you, uh, you know, there's, you, there's a, a void in your career. If you, if you didn't win a national championship, I feel that way. I know Pat, uh, everybody, everybody that didn't win one still feels that way for sure. But making it to the final four is a, it's a big deal. And so, yeah, we had, we had a lot of joy. Uh, we had a lot of fun and excitement. Um, you know, that airplane ride was a lot of fun. That's a decently long airplane ride. Um, I can remember, uh, we had it on the radio and we were listening to the, um, Kentucky Duke game while we were in the air flying. And believe me, no one in the world was rooting for Kentucky more than us because we knew we could be Kentucky. They sucked. Like, they, we knew we would be Kentucky. Duke, on the other hand, I mean, that's obviously a good team. And you got, I mean, you got Hall of Famers, uh, both collegiately and, and in the NBA to this day, they're proven. Like, that's, that was a really, really good team and a much tougher battle. Had they beat Kentucky, I guarantee you, or had Kentucky beat Duke, I can assure you we would have all been looking past Kentucky at whatever the final would have been. And we would have beat the crap out of Michigan, too, because Michigan, we just had Michigan's number. I don't care. We could have played the Fab Five 65 times, and we would have been 65-0. and We had their number. (laughs) It it didn't didn't look that way because we barely beat them a couple times, but I'm telling you, we had their number, and they know it. All right, so you're playing Duke. The game starts off with Indiana cruising. I mean, hitting shots, right? everything, right. well-oiled machine. And then two things happen. One, the ball does stop going in the basket at the same rate, but also the referees get involved. Large unmarked bills show up in their bank accounts. <laughs> <laughs> what do you remember, yeah. Todd, from that game and when the tide started to turn? Yeah, I mean, okay, so you you also got to remember, like, I, I pride myself in this because even when I didn't – that year, like I'm telling you, there's a lot of that year I didn't feel like I deserved to be on the floor. Like, I, I wasn't playing very well. But I was still a huge basketball fan. And on the sideline, like I'm telling you, I was as nervous as any fan that we had sitting in the stands. Like, I loved every second of it, and, and I was waving my towel, and I was just so excited at the way things were going. And I can tell you, I'm definitely a homer without question. But, I mean, that's one where you say, you know, money was going into the referee bank accounts and all that. I will tell you right now, Ted Valentine, if you offered him a million dollars or to be able to screw over Coach Knight, he would take screwing over Coach Knight (laughs) every day of the week. That human being hated Coach Knight more than a human should care about another person. And and I, he wouldn't have taken he wouldn't have taken money. The fact that he got to be involved in the screw process, uh, it, it was that that makes his whole career. He could have retired at that point and felt successful. Mm. Could you tell him he's, he's the worst? He's the worst example of what a referee should be 
that I think you like. I can't believe any conference allows that man to be on the floor and referee a basketball game. And I am not just saying that. I've seen him do some of his worst work in a game Indiana was not even involved in. So he's just a terrible, terrible referee that should never be on the floor. And 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 I can't I, like he's just. I don't know. I don't know how he's fooled people for years, or they've felt bad for him, or they've let him continue to be a referee because he's horrible. It's it's funny watching the game back uh, in preparation for this uh, interview. There are fouls called near the end of that game. Reynolds picks up a foul almost on like a dead ball, and it it like changes from everybody at Indiana being frustrated by the calls to almost throwing their hands up. I mean, Reynolds is laughing. He gets called for the foul, and you see it on TV. He's laughing. He's like, what do you – I don't even know what I did. I mean, there. Right. The, what did it feel like the game was being taken away from you? Well, you know, here's, here's the thing that we kind of prided ourselves in is, you know, this is, this is where he doesn't look – you know, referees don't look at it from, from the perspective of what players are trying to accomplish because, you know – Coach Knight's version of bad defense is fouling people. You know, and it, is, it isn't like – I'm not talking about the foul total like at the end of the game. I'm talking about throughout the game of what was going on, Calvert wouldn't foul people that much because we take more pride in our defense than that. And, and you know, if, if they're calling hand-checking, we don't hand-check anymore. If they're letting us get away with it, we do it. But you can't, you can't let us get away with it, and then when it matters, call it. And right. only call it on one end of the floor. And, and that – like I had as much frustration as anyone did. And, and I can tell you to this day, I have never watched that game. I've never watched. I've seen the snippets of my three shots. Yeah. Um, but I've never seen the game. I wouldn't watch it because just talking about it right now, you can see how mad I get yeah. at, at Valentine. Like, like I get that mad about it. Like it, it, I, I don't want to say it took it away from me, but you know, if I saw that happen right now to another team, I would feel exactly the same way about it because I, that unfairness to me makes no sense, and I don't know why someone would feel good about being involved in in creating that situation for uh, against kids. So let's talk about your three shots, Indiana. It seems like Duke has the game in hand. Almost everybody from Indiana has fouled out. I mean, Cheney's fouled out. Allen Henderson has fouled out. Uh, Greg Graham fouls out. Uh, Bailey fouls out. I mean, it is just yeah. incredible. And like you said, this is just unheard of for an Indiana well-disciplined team. Well, and, 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 and those are not those are not fouls like at the end of the game where we're having to foul people. Right. That's in the midst of play. I mean, think about how many free throws that is in a game. Like, right. That's insane. No, you're absolutely right. By the way, Duke shot 42 free throws that game. Indiana shot 16. Indiana, by the way, that was known for shooting more free throws, making more free throws than their opponents attempted. Like yeah, that, that it was, was one almost... of our. It was one of our. Uh, it was one of the things we marked a game by. We had we had like 12 goals that we marked a game by, and one of them was making more free throws than the other team attempts. Yeah. Well, they attempted 42. So yeah. that I mean, it was just and, and what probably eight of those were in the last minute. So you know, see, even if you say it's thirty-four, it's it's, it's a gross, disgusting number. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So it seems like Duke now has the game in hand. They're up by ten. They're up by eight. They're up by nine. There's less than two minutes left, and you get brought into the game for the first time in the game. I, I like you. You tell me. But wasn't it less than thirty seconds? Like I think there was only like twenty-five seconds left. Well, I didn't was, play two. I didn't play two minutes. No, no, no you way. did not play two minutes. Do you remember? In fact, you're right. You came in with under a minute left, 
I think you came in between the 50-second and one-minute mark because your first was three was with 50 seconds left. Okay. Fair. Now, do you – Yeah, I, and, and trust me, I wasn't in the game very long. I think that shot went up within, like, a second of me being in the game. It, it was a dead ball. It was a dead ball, and I shot it the second I touched it. All right, so you make the first one. And, okay, you know, it's a three-pointer. That's what happens at the end of games. We're still down by at this point by, like, six or seven. Come down the next time, you get the ball again. You chuck it. What do you remember from that one? Um, you know, I, I, a lot of it was a blur. I don't remember a lot from it. I, right. I know the second one, uh, the second one felt the best. Yeah. I, I, do, I do remember that. You'll you'll really laugh when I tell you about the third one. <laughs> All right. So yes, I love the third one because the third one is the most insane one. Do, by the way, before so, we get to the third one, do you know exactly how people always talk about? Oh, Leary hit three threes in the last couple minutes. No, no. Do you know how short the time period was that you hit three threes? What the actual I time period was? I don't. I don't. You hit three threes in twenty three seconds of game time. <laughs> <laughs> you made the first one yeah. with 50 seconds left. You made the third one with 27 seconds left. You made nine points. It was like Reggie Miller-esque. Mm. You, you, you hit nine points and brought the, sing, the team single-handedly back into the ball game. Walk us through that third one. The third one I never saw go in. Uh, when I shot it, I think it was Marty Clark, but he hit me in the back of the head and knocked me down when I shot it. And I never saw the ball go in. Honestly, I swear to this day, if you watched it again, you would see me walk towards the free throw line because I thought they called a foul and I was getting three free throws. I never saw it go in, and I didn't know it. They didn't, they didn't call any foul. No, of course not. It went in, and we called timeout. And so if you watched it, like I, I never saw that one go in. I didn't I didn't know. I think it banked in, didn't it? No. No, you drilled it. It didn't. I, I, don't, I, I can't even remember. But like, you were like, leaning when forward. When I shot it. Yeah, yeah, I knew I was running. I think I was running off of a screen or running forward or something, and I caught it and shot it right away. And they hit me in the, in the side of the head, and I'm pretty sure I got knocked down. And I thought they called a foul. I thought I was shooting three free throws. I was nervous as shit to <laughs> shoot these three free throws. All right. And I didn't get to shoot them. Wow. Now Duke inbounds the ball, and Indiana's pressing, and we force a turnover on Bobby Hurley. You get the ball back. And everybody in the world of basketball knows Todd Leary is – we're down by three points. Everybody knows Todd Leary is going to shoot the basketball here. It looks like you can't miss. You're going to shoot the basketball. The ball goes into Jamal Meeks' hands. Now, I love Jamal Meeks as a player. He's a tough SOB. He's not a three-point shooter. Right. He takes a three. I think he, he, would, agree, he would agree with you. He takes the three. By the way, he took the three not with, like, five seconds left. Yeah, I know. I know. And he bricks it. What is going through your mind when the ball goes into Meeks' hands over on the other wing? I think you're on opposite sides, and you see him rise up to shoot this shot. Uh, a little bit of shock. Like, I was surprised. I was running the baseline to come out on the wing, and honestly, had he held on to it, for just a little bit longer, I think he would have seen me coming. Um, and I and I can tell you, if he'd have seen me, Jamal's not a selfish player at all, ever. I don't think anyone would ever tell you Jamal's a selfish player. So that had nothing to do with it. I, I you know, we've never talked about it. No one's ever discussed, like I've never discussed it with him. If he told you that he didn't know how much time was on the clock, that wouldn't surprise me. 
um, because it's just kind of uh, unco- uncharacteristic for him to have taken that shot uh, in that situation. If he'd have waited just a hair longer, I think he would have seen me running the baseline. The crazy part was he shot the shot, and here's what was going through my mind. It grazed the rim and kicked off of my hand. Like, if I had – I didn't see it in time. I didn't see it come off in time, and had I seen it, no, there was plenty of time left. Right. I literally could have caught the ball. Like, if I had known the ball was coming off the rim, I could have caught it. It hit my hand and went out of bounds. And that's what I was kind of frustrated with was I still could have caught it. Like, I still could have got it. If I would have seen it, I was running so hard on the baseline, I really didn't even see him shoot it. I saw it in the air, and I saw it hit the rim, barely. And then I was running under the basket, and it hit my hand and went out of bounds. And, and I was – you know, I was disappointed at the fact that I, I could have stopped it so easily. Like mm-hmm. I, if I had just seen it a half a second earlier, I could have stopped it, but and, I and, didn't. And are those things when you're driving through the, the Southern Hills of Indiana, does that stuff haunt you? No, not really. I mean, I don't, I don't, uh, there's so many other things that could have happened. You know, the, the, the foul calls haunt me. <laughs> Yeah, you know, yeah. All of that stuff. I, and I can tell you, I, I swear to God, if I don't play one second in that game, because, you know, if you ask somebody to remember my career right now at Indiana, nine out of 10 of them are going to remember me making threes in the final four. I mean, it's what I'm kind of remembered for as a player. And if I swear to God, right now, if you could say, we're taking that away from you, but you guys win the game and we don't have all those foul calls. I hope that no one would question the fact that there is a one ounce of my soul that wouldn't take that victory over. I mean, I would brag about that banner more than any human being alive. So, you know, I, it, it, I, it doesn't haunt me. The, the foul calls haunt me. The, the, I cannot watch it. I can tell you I, there is no way I could watch that game because I already seriously dislike Ted Valentine. Yeah. And, and that, I mean, I could, I could do, I don't, I try not to make very many stupid decisions anymore, but I can make a stupid one after that. <laughs> so, so how does, when you guys uh, in the locker room are heading home, how does Coach Knight deal with you guys uh, after uh, such a loss? Because a, a, a game where it's not for a lack of effort or, or even execution, but something where clearly uh, it, the refs, had so much to do with it. Is that is that part of the discussion? The the nope. the consoling? No, nope. no. Nope. Like there, you know, we're you know we're the no excuses. We should have never been in that position. Kind of, you know that that's what we want our our image to be, and that's what Coach Knight is. Like he's, you know, I, he's he's competitive as more competitive than me. Like if that's possible, he, he is the as most as competitive as you can get. But I don't think he would sit here and make excuses for it. I it, it makes me sick to have to sit here and say, oh, we would have won if it wasn't for the fouls. If I heard somebody else saying that, I'd be like, shut up. Like, that's just stupid. But but that's, you know, I was that close to it. That's how much I felt it was that big of a factor in the game. Um, but I also feel like, you know, we're good enough to overcome anything. And we had put ourselves in a position in that game that you give that team a 12-point lead in that game, and 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 I don't think that that team can lose. And right. I I would have taken us against anybody up twelve because I we had all good free throw shooters. We had you know we're not going to lose that game. And you know that that's just I I wouldn't have make that excuse. Um, 
Coach Knight for sure wouldn't give us that excuse. No, he we will use that. Excuse. No, no, yeah. we're yeah. happy yeah. to. We're yeah. happy to. Well, that's our we, we that's like our job. Yeah. It's not like he came in and gave us a heartfelt, you know, guys. You know, you had an unbelievable season. Never, not one time. Never did we. I don't think after the in all five seasons, after the final game of the year, I'm pretty sure he never addressed the team at all. Wow. Not one time. It it was a uh, you know we. We go get on the bus and there's dead silence and nobody talks. And it's, you know, that game in particular, you don't have to tell everybody to be upset. Like everybody's destroyed. And we go back. I mean, I couldn't watch. I couldn't watch the next game. I couldn't watch the finals. There is nothing about me that wanted to watch one more second of college basketball. There's that much disappointment in it. So we fly home the next day. There is, you know, we don't enjoy anything to do with anything. Like I'm pretty sure I went home and, and uh, went in my apartment, and we all just sat there and for like three days and did nothing. Like, it's awful. So now you're going into your redshirt junior year. You lose Eric Anderson off that team. You lose Jamal Meeks. But you guys have a just incredible roster coming back. Obviously, Calvert's coming back. He's going to become player of the year. You've got Damon Bailey. You've got Pat Graham coming back. You've got you. And it does seem like Brian just, Brian Evans shows up Brian this year. Evans shows up. Brian, it, yep. It does yep. look like in looking at the stats, your minutes go up in this year, your junior year. It seems like you now have carved out a real role on this team throughout the season. Is that what it felt like? Yeah, kind of. You know, it, it's one of those things like just with with age, um, you know, barring injuries, um, almost every player with Coach Knight, you know, once they got to their junior and senior year, like they played much bigger roles. And a lot of it has to do with maturity and age and understanding, you know, what he wants. Because there's a lot of times, you know, uh, in my freshman year in the, I can't remember if it's Hoosier Classic or Indiana Classic, whichever one was at Market Square my freshman year, uh, playing in that game, you know, I, I got to play quite a bit. I think I might have started that game. And I had had a pretty good game. And at the end of the game, we're up by, you know, a decent amount of points. And I made kind of a, I'll call it a cool spin move for a not very athletic guy. I made a pretty cool spin move and banked a shot in. And I'm like, that, uh, that was a pretty good move. I'm feeling pretty good about myself. And Coach Knight calls a timeout and rips my butt just going crazy over – that is not what we need at this point in the game. Like, we have this game put away. I don't need to see that Todd Leary can make a 12-foot running bank shot. Like, what the – and I mean, like, it was the prettiest shot. It was it was money. <laughs> and, and, you know, that's – at that point, I'm like, what a dick. Like, he's just being mad because he wants to be mad about something. But as I got to be a junior and senior, you know, you realize now as a as a 48-year-old, I watch kids all the time and I watch them making these plays and I'm like, why would that guy do that at this point in the game? And that's what you learn as a junior and senior. And and as a junior and senior, you hope you don't make those same mistakes and that's why you get to play more and that's why your minutes are more valuable and you you're more efficient and things like that. And so, you know, I, yeah, you're definitely looking forward in your junior and senior year to having a much bigger impact as a guy like me, you know, I mean, Bailey plays every minute of every game anyway, you know, but he, but he's going to play a different kind of role, you know, and, and I think as a junior, you know, in, in his mind, he's a junior at that point also, you know, I think he played a different role as junior year than he did his freshman and sophomore years. So, yeah, we all kind of, 
grow and mature a little bit. Hopefully you do at least. Well, and look, I kind of compare this team, your junior year, to the 76 Hoosiers team that ended up winning the national championship coming off of the disappointment of the year before, where you have like a, a disappointment in the final four against Duke and you yeah, come yeah. In 75. Yep. Yeah. And you come back with such a loaded team and it will, you know, let's hope there's a future, you know, championship run that, that maybe competes for this. But in my mind, this is for my childhood, my adolescence, this was the year this was the team and just tearing through the big 10 at 17 and one it was like it was such an amazing season to watch and and did you guys feel that coming out of the disappointment of the duke game did it really fuel what you guys ended up doing in that regular season basically being the best team in the country for most of the season um, yeah, I feel that. I mean, I think we played at right what our own expectations were. Like, well, I mean, we knew we should be good, and we were good. And, you know, Calbert, you know, he, he, as a senior, you know, to have all of the expectations, um, you know, he had had three great years. And, you know, to go ahead and finish off your senior year and even be better than you have been, is a tough thing to do, and and he did it, and that's just that's that exemplifies why Calvert I always say is the best player I ever played with, or against, and and he just like he he expected that of himself. We all expected to be better, um, and you know I I don't know what it is. I'm not a guy that goes back and looks at the stats and and watches old games and stuff like that. That's what Eric, um, that's but, what Eric does. But, yeah, that's all I do. <laughs> I've got, I've got, but Jake Query, I got a buddy that does, and he'll bring up stats from a certain game, and I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> um, but, but I, I do remember, like I remember, in that season, winning a game, like, like I can tell you, losing the game, I can't remember how many we lost to, we lost by uh, two um, from UCLA when I talked about that game earlier on, but it, it was probably like 15 or 20 points or something. I'm telling you, it felt like a million. Losing by 15 is a lot. Hmm. And I can remember in, in that year, in Calbert's senior year, how many Big Ten games we won by more than 20 points. And it was, and those are, those, are walk, those are laughers. I mean, you're, you're walking your way through the second half. You have to start mentally thinking what Coach Knight wants once you get into like the 12-minute mark of the second half because all of a sudden – you can't take a shot off of two passes anymore, even though you're wide open or you made a great cut or you did whatever. It better be a layup or you better, you know, get it down to the shot clock, get it down to four or five, six passes because he, he expects you to think your way through that through the game and get to that point. And and we were just annihilating teams. Like I don't know how many it was, but we beat so many teams by 20-plus points. I, we even started to be like, damn, we are crushing people. Yeah, well, by the way, we just looked at it. You beat in the Big Ten in an 18-game season. You beat six teams by more than 20 and a couple more by more than 10. I mean, it's like half yeah. the year you're blowing teams out. Well, and, and, well, and that's – I mean, that that doesn't – like, that It sounds like a lot, but it doesn't sound, like, astronomical. Like, I, I'm, we didn't lose – I didn't lose – I don't think I lost five games in my career by by more than 20. Yeah. Like, I, and I'm, I'm including high school, and the one I lost by 50. 
I also right. lost one in, one in college by 52. <laughs> but, but I got to tell you, in today's basketball, where every conference game, like winning on the road somehow has become like kryptonite to every team, yeah, it like seems like. Yeah, impossible thing in the world. Right, right which I don't really understand, but – but we're, we live in a world where that's the case, where even a Michigan State goes to, like, Penn State and struggles to win by five right. or six. Beating, right. beating a third of your schedule by more than 20, and then when you count in double-digit victories, it comes up to about nine. Half the season are blowouts is insane. Yeah. It's insane. It's insane. Well, two. And those are, not, those are not all against Northwestern. Because I, I think I remember we struggled against Northwestern yeah, uh, well, year, the, the second the game, the second game, yep. you waxed them. The first game, I'm not even. Oh, but you're also playing Michigan, who's a top five team all year. The well, five. you, you right. waxed Northwestern both times. Tell us Might about the, the year before. We, right. Te, but tell us about that. Both of those were nail biters with the, the Fab Five that year. Um, can you talk a little bit? You know, it could be specifically this year where you, you beat them both. It's by one on both games. But just why you had their number? Why even as, as you know, look, you guys were loaded too. So we can't say that they just really had a bunch of talent and you guys just had more pluck and strategy. Why, why did you match up well with them and end up defeating them? You know, like, okay, so physically, I would say, you know, I would, I would say we were not at – as athletic or physical, physically talented as they were. You know, I think we were really physically talented. They were just ridiculous. They were unbelievable. But, you know, like like we honestly had this feeling. I I think in our minds, whether it's true or not, I think we felt like they probably shot around and shot free throws at practice all year long. And, you know, when it came time to play in games, they rolled, you know, coaches rolled the ball out and, and, you know, they let them do whatever they were going to do. I don't think that, I think they just tried to let their talents win their games for them. And, you know, we knew how much preparation we put into it. We knew every single time Juwan Howard touched the ball, he was going to turn to his right shoulder. We knew every single move. We knew that there isn't a chance in the world you were going to see Chris Weber make a move going left. Every move was going to be going right. We knew everything they were going to do at every point in the game, no matter where they caught it, we knew what they were going to do. And that's what they did. And so, yes, I, I would, you know, I'm being kind of a cocky idiot by saying if we played them 65 times, we'd be 65 and 0. But I would tell you confidence wise, we would go into every one of those games expecting to win because we felt like we had prepared better. And we felt like whether it's true or not, that they didn't, and they just rolled the ball out there, and they expected their talent to beat ours. So, and so we always felt like we we were this big brother to them. Well, you proved it on the court by sweeping them that year. You're cruising through the Big Ten, and then Alan Henderson gets hurt. Yeah, big deal. Yeah, I mean, I, I would argue that that's the reason you don't win the national championship that year. But – what did it feel like in the locker room when that happened? And did it feel a little bit like the wind had been taken out of your sails at that point? Yeah, that was one of the, um, you know, we didn't all sit around and say, oh, man, I don't know if we have as good a chance to win now as we, as we did with him. But we didn't have to say that. Um, it was a, you know, when there's just a, a quiet, you know, there's just a silence and it's a, it's a disappointing silence. Uh, you know, we had that and we didn't just have it for like a day, you know, it was like, it wasn't just like the day he got hurt. Like we all, 
you know, we're in shock and all that. Like it was a, it was a, okay, we're going to have to kind of restructure and do things a little bit differently. And everybody's going to have to do, Alan was, was, you know, he was uniquely talented. You know, he could do, he would get some rebounds that just nobody else could get. Um, and he wasn't the most athletic guy in the world, but you know, in certain situations you put him up against Chris Weber and a certain rebound comes off and Alan just always comes up with it. And, and he was just uniquely talented. He had, uh, he had some, and he was cocky and I love that about him. Um, you know, he was just, uh, I, he was just a big part of what we were and he wasn't a tough guy. Um, I mean, he grew up in Carmel, like let's not kid each other. <laughs> he went to he grew up, He's he, a he went private, to, yeah, private he grew school up boy. In Carmel. He changed, <laughs> I, I make fun of him for this, but he changed his hometown from Carmel, Indiana, which is what it was as a freshman to Indianapolis because it sounded tougher to his <laughs> frat, frat brothers. It sounded tougher to be from Indy than from Carmel. But, but you know, he didn't have to be tough. He was good. Right. And, and that is and, – and I'm not saying he wasn't tough. He was mentally tough. Right. He wasn't like a street going to beat your ass kind of guy, but he would beat your ass on the court kind of guy. Super and, smart. And we too, all right? love that. Oh, Super geez, smart. genius. If and, he wasn't – if he didn't make so much money in the NBA, he'd have been a doctor like his dad was. And like I he was, and I'm not he was even, that smart. He was that smart off the court, but he was also, and I think this goes back to Coach Knight and the recruiting. It was rare for Coach Knight to not have smart players on the court. I mean, the basketball IQ of you and Damon Bailey and Calbert Chaney and Chris Reynolds and Alan Henderson. I mean, that was part of the fun in watching those teams too. Is you just always knew we had a smart team on the court. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, that was part of Damon Bailey's, um, you know, that was part of what made him really good. I think he had a really, he had a super high basketball IQ. He thought things through. You know, he had figured out a way to slow the game down earlier than I did. Um, and so that, you know, when you once you figure out how to slow the game down and, and you're dictating how the game is going to go versus reacting to somebody elbowing you and, and holding you coming off of a screen, when you start to, to slow it down, the game is so much easier. And, and Damon definitely figured that out earlier. But um, I, I get off course when I say some of these things. But what I was talking about with Allen, Allen and Brian Evans, I think, came in with super high basketball IQs. And I think they thought the game through differently than a lot of players do when they come in. That's why I think they were, you know, ultra successful. And I definitely think Brian was. I think Brian – um, uh, I, I give him an enormous amount of credit because physically, um, other than being tall, you know, he was not athletic and he was not, he's not a physical specimen and he's not fast and he's not strong and he can't jump very high. Uh, <laughs> but other than that, but, just a great athlete, <laughs> but he can shoot like crazy sweet, and he's six sweet foot stroke. eight or nine and, and he's smart. And he knew, I mean, for that guy to be able to, win Big Ten Player of the Year. Um, if you watch a lot of the games that he played, he outsmarted almost everybody. Well, and it was and, like – And that's that's a that's an awesome compliment. I, like, I I hope someone would take that as a compliment and not I'm saying he's not a good athlete because no, no, no. I'm meaning it as a compliment. And, and he was just, like, lurking behind all you guys as he was coming up. So when everybody sort of cleared out from that all – all-time great roster and it was his team to take over for me at least it was like whoa who knew brian evans was an all-american waiting to happen it was just I, like yeah, I, I, no doubt about, i'm gonna tell you that if you and i met when brian was a freshman and you told me 
that Brian was going to be an All-American and the Big Ten Player of the Year and do what he did at IU, I seriously would have told you you were the dumbest freaking moron <laughs> and knew nothing about basketball at all. And again, I don't mean that as a rip on Brian. I'm saying that's how hard he worked, and that was me judging him physically mm-hmm. because that's not playing any games with him or being in practice as much with him. That would have been me judging him coming in as a super soft, not strong and athletic, you know, white guy that, that couldn't jump very high. And, and I thought his jumper was okay. I didn't think his jumper was as good as it was. But he worked that hard. And, he, you know, I didn't give him credit for the basketball IQ that he had because he, he figured out a way to slow the game down, too, earlier than most people do. And, and I, you know, I was saying that earlier. That's what he and Allen, I think, had that a lot of people, when they, when they see how tall they are, they think they were good because they were tall. But for tall guys, those guys had insanely good basketball IQs. To your point you made before, Todd, about how there was no one in the country, no other coach in the country that could have taken that 87 team and won a national championship, do you also look at guys like Brian Evans, who who you have to give Brian the lion's share of the credit for working his ass off to become the player he was, but is it the same thing where Coach Knight had a system that allowed Brian Evans to shine where many other coaches would not be able to do that? For sure. No doubt. No question about it. And Brian's a great example. I mean, you send Brian to Michigan or, you know, somewhere else like that. I mean, I don't think he would have been very successful. I don't think he would have had the career that he had for sure. I shouldn't say not very successful. Um, but but I don't think he would have had the, the college career that he had. Um, and, and I think that there's there's several guys that you can say that about. And I'm talking about the guys who ended up being all American type guys. Yes, yeah, Steve. Alford. What Coach Knight did with yeah, what Coach Knight did with players like me is is really his incredible genius part of it. Being able to win at that level, and I'm not ripping myself for trying to get you to say something nice about me. I'm legit saying, you know, you you <laughs> Pat Graham and I were laughing last night about if he and I were being recruited in today's world, today's AAU world, uh, we'd have been going to Marion University or <laughs> DePaul or somewhere like that because. We would have never even made a team or, that got to go play in the Nike or Virginia, or yeah, or you, Virginia, or, or you would end up at Virginia. Yeah, 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 that would be that would have been an extremely fortunate situation. You're exactly right. I mean, I it, you've got to be uh, you've got to be lying if you're a serious Indiana fan and you can tell me you didn't enjoy watching Virginia play for the last couple of years. They've just had a fun makeup of a team that is, in my opinion, as close to uh, you know, what old Indiana basketball was kind of like, as I think we'll ever see again. Ward and I have been having this debate for a long time. I have been on the Tony Bennett bandwagon. Oh, stop. Don't try to pretend like I didn't think Tony <laughs> Bennett was a great coach. No, you, in fact, told me <laughs> no, he was this not is, great no, until he won a title. Girls, no, girls, girls. Listen, Todd, Todd, you can, you can help us decide on this. I was like, you cannot put any coach into the conversation of, like, an all-time great coach until they've won a national title. What do you think, Todd? Is yeah. that true? No, I, it's true. Okay. Thank I mean, I would, you, Todd. I, would agree. I mean, I'm, I'm saying it's true, which, of course, makes it true. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, way more but than I mean, if I, Eric I, or I, I say it. Same, I have the same opinion, yes. I, yeah. I think um, – and, and, and to be honest with you, you know what? If, if his teams are, are 500 for the next five years, just winning a national championship is not going to put him in that conversation either. He's going to have to do it continuously year in and year out. Um, and right now he's on pace for that. Like, like that team winning, I mean, going back, this is, I, I love, 
the NCAA tournament more than any sporting event could ever dream of being. Like that, that whole thing every year just never fails being awesome. And this year, if you go back, and I can already tell you, I have watched the replays of Kentucky, or I mean, of Virginia's games, and I've never one time watched a replay of any of our college games that we played. You know, I had to wow. at the time, but yeah. since leaving there, like I've never watched another game that we ever played. And I've watched Virginia's whole six-game stretch this year already because it they they just had those incredible. I mean, that Purdue thing and this. The way they won all three of those last three games just is it, it baffles me that that could that a team could be that good and lucky. Well, beating Purdue, I, yes, that part was great. But I got to tell you, man, I've watched your game against UCLA multiple times in the tournament. I've watched the Louisville game in the Sweet 16 in St. Louis because, by the way, I was at that game. Oof. <laughs> is that when Cal went face to face with? Yes, uh, with Morton. Mor- yeah. Yes, yeah. Uh, I. I have watched multiple games uh, that you played in and have loved every one of them because the hell with Tony Bennett, Virginia, we need to get Indiana back on track. <laughs> but now let's get, let's get to your senior year. You are now a fifth-year senior. Your buddy, Pac Ram, is a fifth-year senior. Damon Bailey is a four-year senior. And you have now lost the best player in college basketball in Calbert Cheney, but you have still a loaded team. Uh, but losing Calbert has to be a big blow. What and Greg Graham and Greg was Graham. like also drafted Fair in enough. the first round. What's your mindset going into your senior year? Um, you know, we knew that we would be um, that we would be a, a little different style team for sure. Um, but you know, you know, here's the thing, um, and, and some some players or, or teams play with this every year. But, but it weighs on you when you are expected to win the national championship. And I can tell you, we expected to win. Our fan base expected us to win our, our, my junior year, Calvert's senior year. I mean, that, everyone expected us to win. And, and that, that weighs on you. And then when Calvert graduates, it's almost like I believe I would, I would have taken 50 more years with Calvert. But when he graduates, it's almost like there's not quite the pressure because People, even though they still have high expectations, if we win, it's going to be another one of Coach Knight's, you know, majestic uh, coaching jobs that, you know, he won with a team that shouldn't have won. With Calvert, you know, we had the talent. <laughs> we, we, were, we were as talented as anyone. And that's why I think we felt like that year we had the expectations and all that. My, going into my senior year, we still were really good. Um, we still had a lot of talent. But I don't think everyone had us as the consensus, you know, you guys will destroy everybody. Um, and, and, you know, we'll definitely be in the Final Four because of how good you guys have been. Well, and I, just, I don't think they had that same expectation. Well, when I look, you guys end up 12-6 and six in conference. You ranked 18th in the country. You get to the Sweet 16. Boy, would we kill for a season like that right now, you know, where it's all relative, <laughs> yeah. where where you guys were in the years leading up to that. But now you were named you were named captain for that season, along with Damon and Pat. So what what was it like then leading the team after uh, those guys had left and now everybody's looking at you? What goes into being named a captain by Coach Knight? Or is that, or is that from you the know, other players? Is is his coach no, who determines it, that? It's just kind of a it's kind of a who's the best players slash who are the seniors kind of thing. I mean, we were the three seniors and we had, I'll say a youngish, youngish squad. Um, we had some young 
guards that had come in. And, and quite frankly, we had some very immature, mentally immature guys that were pretty talented, but, but didn't know how to play. You wouldn't be talking um, about Sharon Wilkerson, would you? You know, I would, I, Sharon was the, was the most mature of the one. Let's put it that wow. way. Wow. Okay. Um, okay. Now he, you know, he was kind of, he had, he had some bad stuff going through his head and people telling him bad shit to do. But, um, but I mean, for the most part, Sharon, for Sharon was a fun guy to play with. He was a good teammate. Uh, coach Knight liked him. We like, you know, I liked playing with him. Like I, uh, I knew he was a guy I had to beat out because I outsmarted him because he was, he was more talented than I was. Um, and if I, if I, he and I came in as freshmen together, I could not have beat him out. Wow. But being, you know, being a senior, like I just, you know, you just play different when you're a senior, you know, it was more like the, uh, Steve Hart and yeah, I think that was Steve, is that Steve Hart and Rob Foster. Yeah, right exactly. Here? Yeah, those are the two guys I'm talking about. Got I it. mean, they Steve Hart would have been fine if his roommate or his his confidant would have been Sharon. He would have been fine. But because it ended up being Rob Foster, and today Rob Foster may be the most upstanding, great human being alive. At that time, he was an immature dingbat, and <laughs> you know he he and he and uh, he and Steve Hart nicknamed themselves. So yes, I'm going to repeat it. They gave themselves the nickname "Frickin' Frack," <laughs> <laughs> and and they were they were Showtime and and something. Else. I mean, they just they we would call themselves everything under the sun. And I mean, Rob Foster just he just came in with a weird opinion of how good he was, and you know he he kind of brought those other two guys down a little bit. I thought. I hope today he's a great human and a good person and a great leader and all that. I'm judging him off of his freshman year. And trust me, people could judge me off of my freshman year and call me a lot of bad things. So I, I don't mean to say he's a bad person, but at the time, um, yeah, it looked like we had a more talented team than what I would say we did. Cause those guys were kind of non-factors. Well, let's talk about potentially, I would, I would guess this would say your highlight of that year. Number one, Kentucky shows up in the Hoosier Dome to play you guys. Second game of the season. Was it the second game yes. of the season? Yeah, yeah. Butler was yeah. the first. Um, yeah. And you lost to Butler. So, you know, already there's this idea of, okay, here's the drop-off. You guys slide down to, like, 21st in the AP, and Kentucky shows up number one in the country. What's your attitude? What, what, what are you guys saying to each other in the locker room before coming out for that game? Okay, well – the loss to Butler. So people will say, people will ask questions from time to time. What do you, you know, what do you remember most about your career? What was the worst moment? What was the best? You know, what's the coolest thing you ever did? I can honestly tell you, and I would be shocked if every single person on the team didn't say the same thing, that the worst week of my basketball life was the week between Butler and Kentucky. Because that trip on the way home i still to this day have a knot on my forehead after the butler loss my mom standing outside the bus in hinkle field house parking lot standing on the bus or I, I was actually just sitting and i'm staring at my mom outside the bus coach knight gets on and he already starts going ape shit we haven't even left the parking lot yet and I'm, you know, I, it's, we played horrible. Like I, and I played, I was a huge part of us playing horrible. I made a couple of bad turnovers that 
kind of put us in a position to lose the game. And so um, I don't feel good about myself. I don't feel good about anything that's happening. I know how horrible it's going to be. And Coach Knight's going crazy. And I'm sitting in the seat by myself in a bus. And I just glance with my head kind of cocked a little bit. I would say I was not trying to be nice about it. But my head was kind of cocked. And I just kind of glared at Coach Knight as he was going crazy on us in the bus. And it caught him at the wrong time. And he he made me stand up in the bus. And he and I were forehead to forehead, pushing against each other as hard as we possibly could. And by the time I was done, I still have a knot on my forehead to this day. But I was bleeding. He wasn't. Did he headbutt you? It wasn't a headbutt because we just gradually got nose to nose to each other. He didn't, like, come at me and headbutt me. But but we were nose to nose to each other, and we were pushing as hard as we possibly could. And just and the force was, of pushing caused you to bleed? Yeah, I was, my forehead was bleeding without question. I, I still t- I'm touching it right now. I can tell you I still have the knot on my forehead from it. And my mom's standing outside the bus watching all this take place. <laughs> and it's, I'm telling you, it was just like I was as mad at him as he was at me. And that trip home, we got to about Martinsville. Oh, and Mandy's home. Yeah, home, of, home of Mandy. Yeah. <laughs> and we uh, stopped the bus, get out. The managers have to get out, and all of our bags and everything are, you know, how they tuck them underneath the buses. They have to get out our stuff, and we have to put on our practice gear for the remaining 30, 25, 30-minute 30 drive we have to Bloomington because we're going to practice when we get back. And thankfully for the NCAA, we thought it was going to help us out and work to our benefit, and instead it screwed us over. But they had a rule that year that you can only practice so many hours a day and, you know, so many, so many hours per week, and, you know, you had to have a day off and all these different things. And so Coach Knight figured out the genius of we, we were not allowed to practice the same day we played a game. Midnight. And, yep. So Coach Knight, when he got off of the bus in Martinsville, he did not get back on the bus. We got on the bus. We drove down, put our practice gear on. We all got there. I think it was probably an afternoon game we played. I know it was daylight when my mom was watching the bus. So let's just say we got back around 7 or 8 o'clock at night. We sat there until midnight, and at 12.01, we had, including every practice I've ever had in my entire life, the worst practice that I've ever been a part of. Like the hardest? The hardest practice I've ever been a part of. And at 5 a.m. every day that entire week, including the day of the game, we got up and ran sprints literally until you would throw up. And we had a full-on one-and-a-half-hour full-contact, full-speed practice the morning of the Kentucky game. And – People can say, you know, you're you're exaggerating and all that. And I'm telling you straight up to this point. You go back and watch that game, Damon Bailey throws up at the end of the game on the court. Like in his hand on the court. And nobody knows it. Like he just kind of wipes it off on his shirt. There's some of it on the floor. We're kind of cleaning it up with our shoes on the floor. That's how tired and exhausted we were. And I can tell you to this day, people can say, how did you win? Like how did you beat that team after losing – 
to Butler. And the only answer I can give you is we didn't have a choice. We did not have a choice but to win that game. Wow. And, and there is no way – there is just no way we were going to lose that game, no matter what. I want to go back and look at the Sports Illustrated cover I have of Damon Bailey from that game and see if there's puke somewhere on his jersey. <laughs> he, pu- he puked on – he's standing right next to me. And he, he's like, oh, my gosh. And I look over, and he's got puke in his hand, and he's kind of trying to, like, shove it down his shirt and wipe his shirt oh. off, and it's on the floor. And he's turning around walking, and we're just – you know, we're just – we don't want to come out. This is at the end of the game. We're winning. We're going to win. We know we're going to win. All we got to do is make a couple free throws, which we're definitely not missing free throws. And, and we know we're going to win. And so none of us are going to come out. We're not, we're not volunteering to come out. We're not letting him know that he's sick. Uh, he, he is just, you know, we, we would have done anything we had to do to finish that game and make sure that we won. And I don't know, you know, I wish you could say, well, why didn't you do that against Duke? I, I don't know. I can't tell you. I can just tell you that game, I can. there is no way we could have lost. No way. Well, no one played more minutes in that game except for Damon Bailey than you did. Uh, and I, when we were talking to Pat Graham, we, we had a conversation with him at the end where a little bit about like what you were talking about before, Todd, how there are expectations of certain teams to win the national championship and anything less than that is considered a failure in some way. And yeah. I, I said to yeah. Pat, Pat, when I looked back at your senior year, here's what I saw. You beat number one Kentucky at the RCA Dome. You beat number 10, Michigan. You beat number 16, Minnesota. You beat number nine, Purdue. You make it to the Sweet 16. I think that as fans and, and as Hoosier hysterics as we are, we get caught up in you got to be the last team that wins a game or else it's a failure of a season. It's just bullshit. It's just not true. A season is long, and there are milestones that can be had throughout the year. Your senior year, Todd, was marked with unbelievable milestones. There were some lows for sure. But what an incredible way to kind of go out with a season where you do make a run in the NCAA tournament. You do beat number one Kentucky. You do beat top 10 Purdue. You did lose by 50 to Minnesota, but we won't talk about yep. that game. Um, <laughs> yep. And then it, I just it, you, you have a long career, longer than most because it lasts five years, and you get to senior night in one of the most memorable senior nights that Indiana University has ever had. And I'm sure you remember it, but I want to, for everyone else, remind them of what uh, Bob Knight, Coach Bob Knight, said while you were waiting for him to start talking about you. Coach Knight decided to share a little piece of wisdom with everybody in the audience, everybody in the crowd, and he said, quote, When my time on earth has gone and my activities here are past, I want they bury me upside down and my critics can kiss my ass. They take yep. a shot of you, Todd. I went back and watched it. You you look dumbfounded. You your jaw is like your mouth is wide open. <laughs> Do you remember what was going through your head at all when Knight just went off with that? Um, you know, I thought it was kind of um I thought it was kind of an odd time for him <laughs> to be making that statement. I'll just say that. Like I um it, it seemed like he had an agenda that most of the time, you know, later in my career, I could figure out what his agenda was. And, and I would say, I didn't know what his agenda was when it came to that statement. He wasn't being like overly criticized. I didn't think, I didn't think people thought, you know, he was, he was not being successful still as a coach. So I, I don't know. I don't, I didn't really know why 
you know, I, I also on the flip side of that, um, you know, I would tell you that probably a part of I, would that have been, I can't remember. So I don't want to make the excuse if it's, if the timing wasn't right, but, but a part of my stupid look on my face might've been like that night when he introduced me, he said the nicest thing about me that if I, if I could have written his speech for him, he would have said what he said. Yes. And that, you know, he basically bought me for nothing and wouldn't trade me for gold. And yep. I'll never forget, you know, him, him making those great, nice comments. Um, and, and, and I, I just had a, I had a really good feeling about when he was making that statement in all reality, I know you think like we probably were standing there listening to on the edge of our seat to what he was going to say. I may not have even been paying attention. <laughs> I do remember him making that statement. I do. I kind of, I remember it specifically him saying that I could have quoted it for you. I remember what he said. Uh, however, I don't think that we were all standing down there going, Oh, what's he going to say next? What's he, I mean, we, we had heard it all before he, numerous times. So he definitely praised you about the, what you just said about buying you for, for what you were then. And they wouldn't sell you for gold. He also talked about how big your heart was. Then you gave a senior night speech where you thanked a lot of kind of the normal people you would thank. It seemed like you seniors got together and divvied up who you were going to thank. But then you took a moment to talk about somebody else that you got really emotional about. Do you remember this one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Adam Prickia. Yes. Um, yeah, and it was, you know, that was, I don't want to act like he was my best friend growing sure. up. Sure. And, and, I, and I lost him. And, and, you know, I was really emotional at the night. It got the best of me to where I couldn't stop being emotional. Now, I also don't want to downplay the fact of I wanted to make the statement of I had learned enough about this kid that I wanted people to re recognize, you know, uh, an awesome fan that we had, that a, a kid that really liked me and didn't know me from Adam other than he loved IU basketball. And that was kind of my whole theory, you know, I wanted it to be more about him and instead I couldn't stop crying and it ended up being, you know, I, I ended up making it too much about me and I, I swear I wasn't trying to, no, I but, just couldn't get a hold of my emotions at the time. But Todd, I, I mean, I went back and watched it. It didn't feel like it was about you. It felt like you were a young guy, a 22 year old kid at the time who was touched by this story of this Indiana fan in Indianapolis who had leukemia, who we didn't know how much longer he had on this earth. And you found out how big of an IU fan he was and how big of a Todd Leary fan he was. And to me, it showed what makes Indiana special, that Indiana basketball means more to many people out there than just a silly-ass game. And to that kid, sure, yeah. it meant more. And you giving him love that night was beautiful. I mean, it was a touching, emotional tribute. I, I never once in watching it thought Todd was making it about himself. I, I just in watching well, it again. I, I'm it, glad that you. I'm glad that you say that. And and I, you know, just in all reality, I wish I could have. I would have liked to talk a lot more about him. I couldn't get anything out without crying, so I just I couldn't talk that much more about it. And I, I uh, you know, I was people. We all still kind of laugh. I make fun of myself at how long my speech was. But if you look at the other two individuals that it was senior night with, yeah, okay, I didn't have the two most talkative human beings alive. Okay? <laughs> Damon would have probably loved to have had the shortest speech in history. And so we all kind of divvy up who's going to thank who from the athletic, 
you know, from the, the uh, academic office ladies to the tutors to our trainers and all that. Well, I ended up thinking the majority of the people <laughs> because these guys didn't want to talk. Now, Pat, today, you, you guys know, Pat will talk to you all day now, especially <laughs> you sit down and have a beer. Like, he'll, he'll talk to you all night. But at the time, he wasn't, you know, he didn't want to be on the microphone and all that. And I've always kind of, uh, I like to hear myself talk. So, um, well, you're you know, I didn't mind talking. Yeah, I, I do it a lot. So, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I kind of inherited the fact that mine was going to be longer than everyone else's. But the fact that my emotions got a hold of me really drug it out and made it longer than, than it needed to be. Well, But I, I loved being able to talk about about Adam and that whole situation. And, and, you know, that, that really is when you've realized I love signing the autographs. I still, to this day, um, I blush when a kid or, or someone would ask me for my autograph because it's, you know, to me, it's a cool thing and I don't have to do it 50,000 times every day. So it's never gotten on my nerves and to have that kind of impact on somebody and see them smile or be excited about you giving them an autograph or signing or giving them attention or something um i mean that's i i got a kick out of that i love that and and adam was a you know his family had made a big um they had made it very well known to me how how much i impacted him and so i you know it just got like i said it got the best of me and i, and I wish i had, could have made it more about him so your time in bloomington is sadly done as a player but you figured out a way to come back <laughs> um, maybe give us a little a little overview of, of what happened there later in the 90s that that what would you do and how'd you get back to to calling games with Don Fisher I went and I played uh, overseas for two years I played my first year in France um, and I did not like that at all um, then I came home what, why didn't you like uh, France you know, was, I just, it, was I it their attitude like <laughs> no, it really, it could have been, it could have been anywhere. Like it, it was just, I didn't like being away. It's, okay. it's so different. It's so bad to say now we've got the internet and, and, you know, FaceTime and stuff. I mean, I didn't even have a cell, we didn't have cell phones over there. And I, you know, I would get to call back home like once a week, literally you would, you would see the USA today three days after it came out. And that's how you kept track of everything that was going on. There was no ESPN. I could watch the games that night and things like that. Today, yeah, you, I could handle it a lot better than I did then. Mm. Um, and so I just – I felt like I was missing out on the world. It was it was just a different like – I, I was tired of basketball. Um, you know, I didn't love it like I did. You know, in high school, I would have played all day, every day. I can tell you for a fact, uh, and, and my coach from France would agree, that from the second we finished our barnstorming tour after play, we played 19 games in 20 days traveling all over the state and it was as much fun as I had my entire time at IU. And, and, um, and didn't you take a bunch of cash from that and buy a car? Yeah, I did. That was, I mean, just that's probably started just stupid decision. Number one. And they, they got a lot dumber over the years, but, but that started just dumb decision after another. I mean, I thought we made $58,000 in cash in 19 or 20 days. Wow. And, there was, th this is an amazing thing. So the manager set this up. Coach Knight said, okay, you guys, you guys go and do this. However many senior managers there are, they're going to set it all up and they're going to split it with all the players. So there was three of us players and there was four managers. There were seven of us that split equally. Everybody made the exact same amount. And we each made $58,000 in cash Holy in, in 20 days. 
Holy yep. hell. So the, as a group, you guys made $400,000? Yep. Holy and, hell. And this is high school gyms around the state of Indiana, yeah? Yep. yep. But wait, it was just, we just coach, travel around and play. Does Coach Knight know you guys are going to be pocketing this money? Um, he knew. I think he knew because the year before they started, the first group that did it was the guys before us, Calvert oh. and those guys. Oh, I and went and watched that. I saw Reynolds get like fifty-six points in a game. I didn't know. I didn't think he scored that his whole senior year. <laughs> he did. I, he didn't. There's no way. He did. Guaranteed. Um, what but, ca- what I mean, car you know, did you buy? They. Uh, I bought a convertible Mustang. Yeah. What black, way to be subtle? Black tar with black interior. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and. And here's how stupid I am. Like, literally, you know, you say you're going to pay cash for this or whatever. I literally showed up with cash. (laughs) I didn't didn't even think about writing a check or anything like that. I showed up with cash, and they're like, what mobster (laughs) drug dealer are you? Like, what are you thinking? What are you doing? Tom Martin was like, what is going on here? Like, you're going to get me in trouble, and – but, I mean, if Coach Knight's thing was, I, you know, he, I don't think he cared how much money we made. I think his whole point was everybody splits it equally. The managers, that was kind of their reward. You know, those guys worked harder than everybody and got no credit. I mean, they got pissed on for nothing else. I mean, they didn't get any of the accolades as hard if not harder than the players did by the way so, just so everybody and, and listening you can look at where they but everybody listening this is after you grad this is after your career is over i just want to make sure everybody's correct. clear yeah, on yeah. That. Yeah, yeah, this, yeah yeah this correct. is not done, you doing it no before you came. Left. right okay right yeah and, and you know so i would have been ricky rowe <laughs> if i had been a senior a year earlier matt nover got to, that role was supposed to be a guard if you can look at who played on those on those rosters that role was supposed to be a point guard but really? they didn't really have anybody to play that role, so they made it end up being like a shooting forward. Ah, uh, or I would have been Ricky Rowe. Could have been a movie yeah, star. I would... made more. I made more in the barnstorming tour than what Nova did for the movie, so <laughs> I feel okay about that. All right, so you come back to Bloomington after you're playing in France. You don't like that. You played for two years. What do you do when you I, come I back? I came back to I came back to Indy. So what what I was going to tell you yeah. is, from the second we finished the barnstorming tour and played that 19th game in 20 days. I played golf every day. I did not touch a basketball one single time until I landed in France. Wow. That's the kind of effort I put in. Like, I literally, I was burnt out. I just did, burnt I out, was just, sure. I was just tired of playing. And so I figured I could catch up once I got there. It took me two months to catch up once I got there. Wow. I mean, the French guys were dribbling around me. It was crazy. But so anyway, uh, I played two years over there. After my second year, I played in uh, Cyprus little island south of turkey yep. uh it was awesome i lived uh in a four-star hotel on a topless beach nice tell me tell me how tough that is as a 23 year old <laughs> so it you, was, so it you didn't wear awesome. a shirt the whole time <laughs> <laughs> uh it would not be like today i did not wear a shirt uh, today you wouldn't catch me without a shirt for sure <laughs> Um, but no, it was, so I had, I had two great years of that. I mean, it was easy. And then I, honestly, I was ready to get out of basketball. Um, and I came back to Carmel and I got married and we, we started a family at that point. I got into the commercial real estate business. Um, and then, you know, fast forward a few years to 2001. And, and that's when the whole, uh, in 2000, when coach Knight got fired, um, he had always dictated who did the color commentary for with Fisher. And obviously with him being gone, um, they thought maybe they could find someone a little bit more suited than Bob Hamill for the color commentary. 
So they, uh, they, it, they had a different player do every game throughout the season. A different former player um, did every game throughout that whole season. And at the end of the year, they, they asked me if I wanted to do it full time. And, and I love doing it. I guess you can tell I like hearing myself talk. So I, uh, I jumped at the chance of doing it, not knowing how much I would love it and, and just absolutely fell in love with it. Don Fisher made it as easy as it could possibly be. He let me be, he let me be myself. He didn't try to train me and make me into something I wasn't. He let me be a fan. And, you know, he would, he'd have to tone me down from time to time. And, uh, you know, in Lexington, when they, in, when they won the game versus Duke, I was standing on the, on the press table on the side of the court. And I had to write an apology letter to the NCAA and all kinds of crap. Wait, didn't you get in trouble for insulting Gene Cady too? Oh, you know what? Like that's an unfortunate situation because I, I, it would sound like I'm making an excuse right now. And I've never really said this publicly. My friends know this. But if you went if you went back and listened to what I said and you saw what was happening at the time, you would know I did not insult Gene Katie's wife. But but just from what Don Fisher said versus the timing of what I said, it sounded like I did. Okay. And and I could never back my way out of it. No one ever believed me. But but in reality, this is exactly what happened. Uh, they had beat us. Uh, Fish was doing like the post game show or whatever, and. Gene Cady came back out, almost kind of grandstanding, and he came back out on the court, and the fans went crazy again. And when they went crazy again, we were sitting by the student section, and Fish said something about Gene uh, Gene Cady coming back out and giving his wife a kiss. Okay, I was pissed off because he came back out on the court to grandstand and get another ovation. So I didn't even hear Fish say he came back out to give his wife a kiss. And I said, it takes a big man to do that. <laughs> Making fun of the fact that he yes. was yes. trying to get some more attention and have everybody love on him some more. And, it, I'm, and I swear to God, it never crossed my mind. Fish didn't think anything about it. Nobody had any issue with what I said. The next morning I do a rate that was on a Saturday. The next morning I did a Sunday morning radio show every week. And some lady called in and she said, I've always been a Purdue fan. And I've always thought that Indiana players and fans were rude and ridiculous, but I've never seen someone stoop to the level of what you did last night. And I literally we went to a break, like right after that, because me and the guy I did the show with, his name's JMV. He still does a show there in town, and it, and I looked at him I'm like, what the hell is she talking about? What's going on? And then all of a sudden, it started going crazy that I insulted Gene Katie's wife and basically called her ugly and <laughs> and all this stuff. And I swear to God, I would never do that about someone. Now, there's a lot of people that that would that I would like to make fun of. I would never do it publicly and never try to humiliate someone, especially about their appearance or something like that. Like I, I'm an immature jerk, but I would never do that. And I never really got to explain my way out of that because if I do it now, it always seemed like, oh yeah, you're trying to make up for it. But I swear to God, that's exactly how the whole thing happened. I think I didn't have any idea I insulted her. I, I think we've cleared the air. I think I think we've got this. I now. believe you, one hundred percent, no doubt. But if you came on our show 
and told us that you made fun of Gene Katie's wife with that line, I would respect you just the same because that is a funny line. Period. All right. So uh, you call regardless of the point, I did. Yes. Thank you. All right. So now let's get into some real life stuff. You're calling games for Indiana. You're in commercial real estate. And you've alluded to throughout this podcast that there have been times in your life where you made some bad decisions. Yes, sir. Where did we go wrong in your life where you started making bad decisions that would ultimately land you in probably a place that you never, ever imagined being? Never thought I would be. Yes, you're, you're, you're right about that side of it. I, um, so I, I was in commercial real estate. I got out of that and I got into, I, I got into uh, business with another guy and we bought a golf franchise called Advantage Golf. Um, and I tried that for about a year and that did not go very well for me. Um, I just didn't work hard enough at it. Um, and so I got into the mortgage business and I had through a friend, Brian Evans, his roommate in college, um, owned a mortgage business in the northern part of the state. And I, uh, you know, I got into doing that and, and it was, it seemed pretty easy for me. Like I, um, I kind of excelled at that and I did a good job at it and I made a lot of money doing it. And, you know, it was, it was kind of the, uh, you know, the Hollywood story of the, you know, no matter how much money it was, it wasn't enough. And, you know, the perfect example of that is, is I moved into, three different houses in five years. And I just kept buying a bigger house just because I thought, you know, that's one, that's what you did. And one, you know, I thought it was cool. And, you know, I always had a new car and, and I just, you know, I, I was, I was successful and doing pretty well. Um, but I wasn't doing as well as I made it look like I was doing. Um, and then, um, you know, I, all of a sudden I, I got to the point where, uh, I wanted to grow and be a lot bigger. And I got two partners that had a lot more money than I did. And we wanted to build a building to house our mortgage company and, and their real estate company. And those guys had the money to put into it. And I did. And because I owned a, or I ran a mortgage in a title company, I had access to a lot of money, but it wasn't money that legally I was allowed to touch or be a part of. And so I took a second mortgage out on one of my houses that I owned and so, and I never paid off the first mortgage. And I took all the money that I got for that and I put it into the um, construction of the new building as my third, so I could be a third owner of the building. And, you know, it was, it was illegal. It was a wrong decision. It was a bad decision. At the time we were making a lot of money and running a lot of deals through our title company. I thought, in my mind, I would make it up and I would pay the money back and no one would ever, you know, know the difference. And the market, you know, um, got God teaching me a lesson that I needed to learn, um, taught me or, or had the market basically crash and tank. And we went from running about $20 million a month through our title company to running about $500,000. And I had taken $294,000 out of our title company, which was the second mortgage I took out on my house. And I'm giving you every detail here yeah, so you don't no, think I'm skipping it. over anything. But I, uh, I took that money and, and, you know, the state audits mortgage and title companies every year, and it got caught in an audit. And at the time I couldn't pay it back. And um, so they, you know, they prosecuted me on it for misappropriation of title insurance escrow funds. What, and I, you know, I, sorry, what, just ahead. real quick, walk us through 
the first time you get a phone call or a letter, or how does it come to you that you got caught? Um, I, I think I got contacted by the prosecutor's office. Um, I can't remember exactly, to be honest with you. Or, no, 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 no. I got contacted by the Secretary of State's office um, asking about, you know, the, the difference in the escrow funds. And, um, you know, I kind of knew at that point, I don't even think at that point could I have put every dollar back in. Would I have gotten away with it or they let me off of it? Um, you know, it just so happened, and, and this is kind of a uh, detail that doesn't really matter, that my partner who I had gotten in business with that ran the businesses in Fort Wayne, um, he had done the same thing. And and I think he and I will both tell you, uh, I and I've not spoken to him since, unfortunately. Um, I, I felt bad about everything that happened, but, you know, I know he would tell you this because it's factual, is I didn't know that he had done it, and he didn't know that I had done it. Um, and, and this was, was the, it, the, the former Colt Ken Dilger? No, 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 no. Kenny didn't have anything to do with it. Oh, okay. Okay. He was, he was one of the two partners I was talking about, had enough money to put into the business. Okay. So Kenny didn't have anything to do with any of that other than we were, you know, he was a, a part owner of, of the company, but the, the guy who actually owned our mortgage licenses, I didn't, I okay. wasn't a mortgage broker. Got it. The guy who actually, the, Brian Evans roommate, um, he actually had our licenses in Fort Wayne and he had done the same thing in Fort Wayne. And I didn't know that he had done it. It's not like he taught it to me on paper. That seems kind of hard to swallow and believe, but, but he didn't teach it to me and I didn't teach it to him. And we both just kind of took advantage of the system and did it. Did the state come after you guys because they thought that that coincidence was too much to, to kind of ignore? Did that fuel them? No, you know what? You know what I don't really ever know is I don't know whether they found out about mine because of his or if they found out about his because of mine. I I honestly don't know that. Neither one of them makes it right or wrong either way. So, you know, we could we could bicker about it if we wanted to. But, um, you know, I I think uh, we made a a terrible, bad decision And, and greed and wanting to be cool and wanting to make money and and, you know, drive new cars and be something that I wasn't uh, was a huge part of, of what I wanted to be and what I wanted to do. And I was fine with it at the time. If you'd asked me about it, I'd have been like, oh, my gosh, so many people do so much worse things. This is not that big a deal. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no victim. I didn't have anybody saying, you know, I lost my house because of him. It was my own house. Right. And so, you know, I, I justified it in every way possible. And, and none of those things makes it right or not illegal or anything like it was it it was bad decision that just kept compounding more bad decisions i i think we all have a desire to want to be big shots uh but you were a big shot at indiana university you uh had some incredible heroics on a final four game that the entire country was watching when you're now in this part of your life and you're doing color commentary for iu so you're still a public figure and you're signing autographs but do you think that factors into you hungering for more than what you you had at that point or he was like well it's sort of incidental i was a, a big shot iu player and this was just a, a human nature um you know i think a lot of it i think some of it had to do with um you know i loved i loved the attention i loved you know people people wanting to be around you and and liking you and wanting to watch you play basketball and telling you how great you are like as an 18, 19, 20 year old kid, you know, when, when everybody's telling you how awesome you are, you know, 
no matter what you feel like, you, you probably start to believe it after a while. And, and I was already super confident. I mean, let's, I'm not kidding right. anybody acting like I was, I was cocky in high school. And, um, you know, I, I just always felt like things were going to work out my way. I've always felt kind of lucky. I've always felt like, you know, not untouchable in any way, shape or form, just kind of like, I'll make it work out. You know, whatever sure. the situation is, I'll, I'll be able to fix it. I'll be able to make it work out. And, um, you know, unfortunately I, I got in way over my head. So in that scenario, you made a deal with the prosecutors on that to avoid prison time and jail time. But then another shoe drops, right? Yeah, here's here's where here's where it's going to sound like here's where people can be like, all right, you know, you, you do it once. It's a bad decision. You do it twice. You're just a criminal. Right. And and, and so this is the only way I'll explain it. I'm not even make excuse. This is just all that I will say. Um, and, and it's a lot. It's not like it's one sentence. I'm just saying this is this is my only way to describe it is I lived in a really expensive house and I drove expensive cars and I lived in an expensive area in Carmel. And, I, you know, I had always made a decent amount of money. And all of a sudden I get arrested at a Purdue game. So I show up February the 4th for the IU Purdue game in Assembly Hall and I get arrested in front of 17,000 people for absolutely no reason. All they had to do was call me and tell me to go turn myself in, and I would have. But that's not any part of my point. But I get arrested. So from that second on, I don't have a job anymore. I don't have access to my bank accounts. I don't have money for gas. It's not like my family has family money. Um, I'm, the, I'm the most well-off person in my family by far. I don't have, you know, I didn't have any friends that stepped up and said, hey, we know we know it's going to be some tough times coming up. And, you know, here's here's ten thousand dollars for attorney's fees and things like that. I had no money and no way to get a job. I could not fill out an application online at McDonald's. Once you have to check the box of, yes, you have a felony or have been charged with a felony. The interviews are over and you can't get any farther, even if it's an online interview. And so I'm not trying to make people have dealt with this in the past and not broken the law again. But I will tell you what I was doing at the time is I had, I had been flipping houses. I had been going to the sheriff's sale and um, going into foreclosed homes and buying them and flipping them and, and reselling or fixing them up and reselling them and, and making money doing that while I was in the mortgage business. And, you know, I will tell you in as the way that was in 2000 eight or nine or whatever that was, you don't have access to go into those houses that are foreclosed on. Now the families are gone, they're, their houses are locked, they're not allowed to get back in, it's illegal for them to come back into the house. So my justification was um, there wasn't gonna be a victim in this. The victim was gonna be a, a big bank if there was an issue with it. And so I started, when I would go into a house to look at it, to flip it, um, I took some appliances that were in the house. Now, when I say some, I'm not acting like I took four. Like I did this for about a three or four month process. So I took a lot of appliances out of houses that were vacant and, and locked up so that the only people that could get into them were the bank. And, and I sold them to, you know, whomever. And you got, and I, How'd you get access to those houses? Because you were, they're, they're all, they're all quote locked. Like they have padlocks and stuff on them. But every single person that I went to the sheriff's sales with, and I'm talking 70-year-old ladies that I'm at the sheriff's sale with, 
every one of us walk through every one of those houses every month. Mm-hmm. So you can get into them. They don't lock them up that tightly. They're not really trying to, they're just trying to keep vandalism from happening and, and people like me <laughs> to do what I was doing. Right. So, you know, it, it, it wasn't hard to get into them. Anyone could have gotten into them. They were, they were open basically. But my point in all that is they were vacant. It isn't like I took something I can, I can justify to myself because I would say I would never steal something from a person. I would never walk up. If you dropped $50, I would tell you you dropped $50. So that was my justification. I wasn't stealing from someone. Um, and the, the person, you know, when I was selling them, um, you know, obviously when you bring other people involved in a situation that's illegal like that, if they start to get in trouble or the heat comes on them, you know, you've brought other people involved in it. And so you're not the only one involved. And so the guy, the people who I was selling them to, um, they had other people doing it too. It wasn't just me. And the people that they had doing it, they got arrested or they got stopped by the police while they were doing it. And those guys said they worked for me. Now this, I I have been 100% honest with you with everything I have told you. And I'm not changing my opinion here. I am telling you, I did not, these guys didn't work for me. They never did anything for me. I had seen them at the location where I dropped stuff off before, but they had nothing to do with me, but they got out of their charges because they said they worked for me. And so they would be witnesses to say they, they learned about doing this from me and worked for me. So they didn't get charged with anything. And these are career criminals that did this that have been charged. I mean, their list of felonies was more than 25 long. And, and the police let them off just so that they could bust me on this, which they never found a single victim. They never found a person that said he took this from me. That's my only line of justification. I'm telling you, it's illegal. I should have never done it. Like I said, it was one bad decision that just kept making more and more bad decisions, but I did not, I couldn't figure out a way to make any money. I, and, and I, that doesn't mean it would selling drugs have been, you know, could I have made an, an argument that selling drugs at the time would, would be the right thing to do? No, obviously that would never be the right answer. I'm not saying what I did was right or wrong, or I'm saying it is wrong. I'm not justifying it. I'm just saying I didn't, I didn't see another way of doing it. And it was so easy. Like it was, and it isn't like I made tons and tons of money. I can tell you and everything I ever did, I probably didn't make $3,000 doing it. Wow. But I got charged with another felony for it, and it revoked my – I probably would have never gone to prison had I not done that second thing. But it compounded. But, yeah, once I did that, then they're looking at it, and I don't blame the judge at that point. Then they're looking at it, and, and, and I'll just say, like, prior to that, I had never seen a police car. Prior to my first – my arrest from Bloomington, I had never been in the back of a police car. I had never had anything other than a speeding ticket. So I didn't have any record of anything. I didn't, it isn't like they were throwing the book at me because I'm a career criminal or something, but my second one compounded it and it made it, it made it. So the judge was like, all right, well, I don't, I don't think he's mentally competent right now to be out in society. So we're going to lock him up. And, you know, they put me in jail and prison for 365 consecutive days to the minutes. Where did you serve your time? I ended up spending about uh, four months in Hamilton County Jail in Carmel area or Noblesville area. Uh, and then I got it. You, you stay there for an undetermined amount of time until they ship you off to prison. I was I was sentenced to Department of Corrections. So you stay there for who knows what amount of time. My attorneys kept saying, I doubt because you were only I was given two years, which you serve one year 
every day you get credit for two. And so I was given two years. I had to serve 365 days. After I was there for three months, my attorneys were like, look, you're probably too short of a time for them even to take you off to prison. And I had kind of come to the point of, okay, I'm going to be in Hamilton County, which if you're going to be in a jail, um, you know, it's, it's not the worst jail you could ever be in. Now, trust me, it sucks. You're locked up in a room all day, every day, not acting like it's not horrible, but you know, I wasn't fearing for my life every day. Um, and, um, about four months into it, I got shipped to the department of corrections. And so I spent the last eight months in, uh, the same prison Mike Tyson was in, in, uh, out in Plainfield in Avon called IYC. And what, how can you describe what that life was like to us? I can't, I can't describe it and, and get it to the detail where someone could understand the fear. And did you feel you know, for your life? Did you feel every for- minute of every day you could get the shit kicked out of you. You could get your teeth knocked out. You could get, you know, the, the one, the one miss, uh, you know, the one thing that I think people, asked me a lot about right right off the bat was you know did you ever like worry about getting raped and things right. like that that's not a thing that's a thing from like the 80s in prison and all that like that's not a thing like, if you wanted to be you know homosexual in prison there's plenty of opportunity for that um but it isn't like anybody forces that on you that's not that's not really a thing um uh, that's shawshank redemption right um well, did, well being but, a- but i mean it, being beat up like so i would get you know, my, my mom would put money, my girlfriend would put money, um, you know, on my commissary account. And one of the things that you can get there that you can't get in county jails is tennis shoes. So literally right after I got there, I bought a brand new pair of tennis shoes. Now they weren't even a brand. They were like kids or something. They weren't even a brand, but I could have cared less. I'd worn Crocs for four months and I got these tennis shoes and thought, oh my gosh, you know, I can, I'm going to be able to at least walk around and feel somewhat normal and all that and about four hours later uh three um rather large individuals came and showed me how they were going to take those away from me so i didn't get to keep those for very long mm. um, did, did they and then threat- you basically learn i'm not i'm not trying to make it out to be um you know worse than it was i'm going to tell you prison is awful and and it's physically violent every day um you know, there's there's gangs and there's all kinds of terrible shit that goes on in there um, that that is just awful. And I, I can't believe that when you go there uh, that you don't learn your lesson in all reality, um, because I just I, like it sucked. I, I was miserable for every second of every day. And I'm talking about the, the part of misery that's that's scared for what's going to happen to you. And, you know, walking around every corner, you don't know what could happen. And, and, you know, the worst parts of everything are I've got three kids at home and, you know, I was, I was a fairly important part of my kids' life. Like we were, we, we were, you know, we were four buddies. I got three boys at home and we were four goofballs that spent a lot of time together playing sports and doing craziness. And to, to remove yourself from that situation you know a lot of stuff i did i could sit here and make all the excuses in the world i want i hope the lesson i learned from that was was how impactful that was on other people's lives um and and my kids and what they had to go through and and just having a dad removed for a stupid decision now dads dads die from cancer and from disease and, and car accidents and things like that they can't control and those are horrible horrific situations i took myself out of the equation 
with greed and stupidity. And, and that's really hard to swallow and live with. And if you don't learn from that, um, you know, you, 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 then you, you need to have something worse happen to you so that you do learn. I, I just don't know how else to say that because I can't imagine a worse feeling than being away from my kids, knowing how disappointed they are, knowing the shit they've got to go through and their mom had to go through and everything. And I just like, I, I put so many people in a bad position so that it was easier on me. And it made me in my own world feel cool. And I hate every second of that. Were you able to avoid physical harm or did you get in some scrapes that you just couldn't avoid? You can't avoid it. You get in, you get in, you get in fights over nothing. We got in, I mean, I got in, I got in a fight because I wanted to watch the master. We had two TVs and the masters was on and a stupid NBA game in April was on. It was like the last game of the regular season. It meant nothing to anybody. And for whatever reason, I chose to take a stand. <laughs> and this, trust, this wasn't the shoes was the first time I got beat up. Right. And, and I didn't win very many fights. I can tell you. Uh, because you're, you're you know, a, a six foot three division one athlete, uh, you know, going into that situation, but obviously there's bigger, scarier street hardened folks in there. Does your celebrity play any part in your existence there? Is there kind of like, hey, there's the guy who was in the newspapers because he used to play for IU? Is that does that make it harder or easier for you? It does. And a lot of the time, um, you know, they're they're, they're also the corrections departments are not stupid either. So whenever my Whenever I would have a case, you know, my appeal coming up or sentencing or whatever that stuff was, you, you end up automatically, if it's on TV or in the media, um, you end up automatically being in like solitary confinement for like two weeks during that time because exactly what you're saying is the case. I mean, somebody wants me to show up in court with a black eye and, and laugh about it in jail because they're the ones that gave me that black eye. So, you know, the corrections departments are not stupid about that. They kind of, segregate you off into a situation where hopefully they take you out of that but you know it doesn't last forever and you go you know you go there's a lot of tv watched in jail in prison and you know they see everybody sees all that stuff they see what's going on and you know a lot of people a lot of people you know it was a while ago um, a lot of people knew who i was they knew about the case i mean it was on the ticker on espn i mean i got arrested right. on on uh tuesday game night or whatever it was so what um, you know, I, I, I'm not, I, I talk about it a lot um, because I don't want people to be, to feel like they have to tiptoe around the issue with me. That's why I make the jokes about the ex-convict and ex-wife thing or whatever, but I'm, I'm certainly not proud of it. I'm proud of, of the fact I do think I learned a, a, a lesson from it. I think I'm a better person because of it. I hate that I had to put other people in a horrible situation and position in order for me to grow as a person. That's a bad, sure. that's not a great feeling. All right. To lighten it up just for a moment, I have to ask, <laughs> take your best day in prison versus that practice after the Butler game, your senior year. What's worse? Yeah, well, that's, um, I'm going to give you the answer that is the obvious answer, but, um, you know, I, at the time, I thought that there couldn't, you know, that was a horrible day uh, of, of basketball and all that. But in reality, let's be for real. There's there's a lot of people that would trade places with me 
And when I say a lot, I don't mean like hundreds. There's thousands and thousands of kids that would trade places to be at that terrible practice. Sure. Um, there's not, there's not anyone I would hope would trade places with me uh, to be at, in incarcerated or in prison. So it, it is, is fair, it's an awful experience. It is fair to say that as a slogan for a crime deterrent, <laughs> hey guys, prison is worse than a Bobby Knight practice after a <laughs> shitty loss. I think that's fair to say, that, right? That is that is fair. If that doesn't scare you, nothing will. All right, Todd. Well, you got your life back together. Yeah, and I think we should say because we wanna we wanna talk to you about the the current state of the program, but that uh, you know you 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 got out of prison. Um, you found you found religion, and you uh, now are very involved with youth and uh, the homeless. Uh, at least as the last I read when you were involved in Indianapolis, I don't know if you've been able to continue that in Paducah and Evansville. Are you still involved with the Indiana Faith uh, AAU team and that good stuff? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The, um, you know, I, I, it's funny to say found religion and all that. It was, uh, it found me, luckily. Um, I, it's, I don't want to drag on the, your, your podcast because I know you're here to entertain people and, and, you know, oh, no. but for we me, gave up, like we I... gave up that dream eight months ago. <laughs> and, 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 and look, I think this is I we try to ask the questions fans want to know. And we all uh, we care about the IU players, you know, not only when you're there, but after you left. And we all we've all heard about what happened, but so little details, even the most in-depth piece from the Indianapolis Star feels like it just kind of touches the surface so you know right. especially since you're willing to be here and discuss this I just think there's a lot of people who who care about you and what you did for the program and your and your life after that so I think it's important that you let us know uh, how you found redemption since then and then we'll talk about Archie and the fun stuff of the <laughs> present day I and I also want to say and I think Todd you will have experienced this I think there's probably a lot of people who were fans of yours who just cast you aside once that happened and said, well, screw him. He's a criminal. I'm not going to deal with him anymore. I don't like him. I don't care about him. And it's a very kind of black or white way of looking at the world and listening to you tell your story. Nothing's black and white. Nothing just happens out of the blue. Like there's it's not justifications for anything. And you were very clear about that throughout the bad decisions you made. But there are reasons there are there are things that happen that cause someone to do something. And I think hearing your story at least sheds some light on it. And I would hope that if there is anybody there who kind of gave up on you as a fan years ago, if they hear this kind of takes a second chance and goes, you know what? He's a human being. And if I were by the grace of God, go I, if I were in the same situation where my livelihood was taken away from me, what would I do? How desperate would I be? And so I just hope people can listen to it with that mindset. That said, yeah. please go ahead. Well, I appreciate you saying that. And I also, I super appreciate you giving me the the opportunity to tell the good sides of it too, because I mean, we talked a lot before we got to that issue and that's what a lot of people want to hear about it. Quite frankly, I appreciate you giving me the uh, opportunity to talk about, you know, what happened after that, because I do feel like a better version of myself and a better person because of what happened. And I met some people that, you know, I think changed my life in, in such a positive way. And it's just, you know, it's, it, I don't think I, I was able to learn that. I don't think things happen quite as coincidentally as I thought they did at one point. I think things happen for a reason. And, and I met some people that uh, I met Craig and Lisa Rader 
um, who, if, if you read the Indianapolis Star story and the Indiana Faith program, I mean, yes, I, I get an enormous amount of credit for the Indiana Faith stuff and, and feeding the homeless and that stuff. But all of that is a direct um, reflection and direct result of, of those people. And, um, you know, they, they didn't – they're huge IU fans, or, or at least Craig Raider is a huge IU fan. Um, but, and he could have cared less about the IU aspect of it. You know, he wanted to help me as a person and he, um, you know, he really did. I, first time he ever, uh, first time he ever met me, um, he said, <laughs> he said he wanted to have lunch with me because he wanted to talk to me about Jesus. And that's, a, I'm not a guy. That's, told, a, that's a strange you, opening line. It's intimidating to someone who hasn't gone to church there. You know, the majority, I don't go to church every Sunday. I've been to church for Easter and Christmas and, you know, a lot of that. But I wasn't a regular attendee at church. It's intimidating. It's, you know, it's intimidating because I don't understand it. I didn't know what, you know, okay, what do you want to talk about? But I can tell you what had happened in my life is at that point I was open-minded to hear it. And, and, you know, it's such a crazy thing because that's how he started the conversation with me and i can assure you to this day that's the most aggressive religious statement he's ever made to me um he's made it the most comfortable he both he and lisa make everything i can have a normal conversation with them about the bible and about a verse and about what i don't understand about something and and you know last weekend uh, lisa sent me you know we're years and years removed from all this now but lisa last weekend sent me a uh, uh a verse that was um gosh i'm trying to think of what what was going on with it. There was something going on at work and I was just being really frustrated and I had been short tempered with somebody at work and she sent me a verse about patience and about the fruits of the spirit and things like that. And I was like, that's not coincidence. Like I haven't talked to her in a month, randomly out of the blue. She texts me on Sunday morning, you know, something about having more patience and how to evaluate things and, and make them, you know, and I'm like, okay, these, these people are legit. I mean, I've, I've known that for years, but it's just funny how that continues to have certain things like that happen. And the Raiders, um, you know, they, they started Indiana faith because they had the money to start it. You know, we put the time and effort in, and, you know, volunteer time and we've got all the kids involved. We could have never done any of that without money. And, and, you know, unfortunately, that's just the way that things are. And, and they not only put money into it, they put a lot of money into it. And so I, I, you know, I was fortunate enough to receive an enormous amount of credit and letters and emails and stuff from people about the Indiana faith and, you know, how good it is that I've turned things around and all that. And it's truly because of people like them and um, and, and the you know, Craig and Lisa Rader, that whole Indiana faith group, all the parents I had with my kids, you know, I mean, do you let, do you let Todd Leary coach your kid after he's been in prison? And I'm a hothead anyway. And I get out of prison. It isn't like all of a sudden I was healed in this calm person. I was a crazy hothead until yeah. I started meeting with Craig regularly. So do you let me coach your kid? There's a lot of parents that, that wouldn't have. And, and I had some great parents that did. Yeah, I was going to say, we're not the ones to ask. I'd let you coach my kid <laughs> in prison. So, I mean, I, there's courts there, right? I'd send him there for the one hour you there get. There are and, courts and, there, yeah. I, I, uh, I, I took some meetings out there, too. Well, and my, and my kids would be like, you know what, Todd? You, you're pretty laid back compared to my dad. He gets so mad when I have clothes on the bedroom floor. <laughs> today, today I am. 
They would not have said that 10 years ago. <laughs> so, Todd, where can our <laughs> listeners go to check to check out what's going on with the Indiana Faith Program and if they want to contribute or, or just be part of it in somehow? Is there a website? Yep, Indiana Faith. Uh, we have, I think it's indianafaith.com. It might be Indiana Faith Basketball. Um, we've changed it and updated it a couple of times over the years. And, and the Raiders, um, Craig Raiders' uh, stepson, Lisa Raiders' son, um, Michael Neese has really kind of taken that thing over. Like you said, I moved to Paducah for work, you know, things, things just, uh, have to continue on. And, and so I, I have not been near as involved in it as when I lived in Indianapolis, obviously. Right. Or the third, third Sunday. Yeah. The th- third Sunday of every month, we still do the chili feed where, um, where we go downtown. There's, there's tent communities downtown. Uh, Indianapolis that I never knew existed before I met the Raiders and we started the Indiana faith. But, uh, you know, unfortunately there's a lot of people that that have fallen on terrible times and don't have a place to live. You know, a lot of different organizations also do this. So we're not, we're not unique in that regard. We just, we're the third Sunday uh, because we know somebody's there on the first Sunday and somebody's there on the second Sunday. So, um, you know, we, we go the third Sunday of each month and the Raiders, when I'm not in town, um, which is most of the time, the Raiders and their group, uh, always continue to go. So it's, um, it's a group. I mean, it's, it's expensive. I mean, it costs, it costs a thousand dollars every, every time we go down there and feed people. Right. And, and, you know, that doesn't happen. Uh, you know, you can't just manufacture that money. You can't volunteer that money. It's, it's got to come from somewhere. So that's why I say it's just, um, you know, without, without having people constantly, you know, soliciting for sponsors and, and people, it, we're a 501 C three it's tax deductible, but there's so many different organizations and good quality organizations that people donate to. I don't ever say ours is better than another, but we certainly appreciate everything that people do to help us. Well, it is IndianaFaithBasketball.com, so please, anybody interested in contributing or just checking in That's on what nice they're of doing, you to say that. please, please go. Uh, so now to, to make a turn, you found religion and, and you found Jesus in a profound way. Uh, I'm Jewish. Uh, I don't care if it's Jesus, Moses, Muhammad, where can we find something that tells me that Archie Miller is the guy to lead Indiana basketball? Back to the promised land. Let's just... Out of the desert. We've been wandering in the desert. Just tell me what you have found you just... that, that will give me some faith, and I'll be there at church on Sunday. Man, I'm going to pray for you tonight just for that comment. <laughs> you're such a you're a you're a good guy. You're a good guy. I don't want anything bad to happen for you just for that. All right, thank you. Uh, I'm just, I just tease it. All right, so you know, what, yeah, give uh, us something. Here's okay. So here's my. This is Todd's opinion. You know, which is which is worth not much, but <laughs> more uh, than ours. Know, yes. I, I I want Archie to be. I want Archie to be the guy. I don't. I I'm so tired of starting over. Um. You know, I, I don't know that I could have ever said, I think Kelvin Sampson's the guy, um, Tom Crean, I think I bought into it, um, for a while, but I think he needed, I think he needed some, some additional help. I think he needed some assistant coaching help. I think recruiting wise, Tom Crean is why I thought he could have been the guy, but I think he needed to relinquish some of the, you know, on sideline coaching responsibilities and delegate that to other guys and him be more responsible for. Uh, recruiting Archie. I think Archie's got all the, I think he's got a good portion of all of the 
um, skills that you need to be a good coach. I think he's a good sideline coach. I think he's competitive as hell. I think that he can recruit. Uh, I think that there's the makeup there for everything. There's nothing about him that I would say, okay, he's definitely going to have to improve on this before they're going to have a chance to turn in the corner. The one thing that I have said since the day he got there, and, and I annoyingly text message him. I know to the point where he's got to be like, Jesus, why did I give this guy my phone number? <laughs> but I constantly, every so often, will text message him and say, where is your Archie Miller? You know, where's your Todd Leary? Bring in, like, Archie Miller wouldn't recruit himself right now based on who I see them recruit. Right. And I want them to get that. I want them to get that guy. I want there to be some glue guys on the team where when Romeo does something that you don't like, you're not afraid to get in Romeo's face because Romeo's going to be a top 14 draft pick. And I wouldn't be afraid to get in his face. Archie Miller wouldn't be afraid to get in his face. Pat Graham wouldn't be afraid to get in his face. And I want those guys to get recruited. I also want Romeos of the world. You need one or two Calberts. You need one or two Romeos. You need the Allen Hendersons. But I want, I think until those guys start building teams, you know, instead of just recruiting the best players, it's not the NBA draft. You don't take the next best available player. You take who's going to make your team better. And, and honestly – that's my that's my advice to him. That's my advice to the program. It's really my advice to a lot of the different programs is, is stop worrying. I say it every week. I told you earlier, I yell at Jim Coyle every week because he asked me some recruiting question about some guy we didn't get. And I'm like, I don't give a crap about that guy. Recruit the kid from Indiana that's from Sellersburg that can shoot and dribble and knows how to play help side defense and can help when Romeo's man drives around him. So when you see give them, me that, give me that guy. When you see them offering Anthony Leal and Trey Galloway, does that encourage you along those lines? Um, uh, <laughs> not so much. Huh? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, well, like I've who's out Trey there Galloway. right now? Yeah, Trey, Trey Galloway played on my son's team when he was in the second grade. Okay, I've known him for that long, and I think he is incredibly talented. Okay. And, and I know his dad, I don't, um, I'm making this statement without having, um, a ton of inside information, but I'm going to tell you this, he is extreme. He's more talented than I ever was. Mm. Okay. But I would take myself one-on-one against him because still probably at 49 years old, 48 years old, I would take myself against him because I'm, I'm meaner than he is. And I want one of those mean kids. Like, I, I want a mean guy on my team that's it, that I'm going to root for. And so that's what I want. I mean, I'm not, I'm not ripping him in any – this is no discredit to him. Talent-wise, he's better than I could have ever dreamed of being. But I'm going to tell you, I need somebody that's tough and mean and gonna, not going to be afraid to – I punched Eric Montross in the chest as hard as I could in the middle of a game my, ju- my senior year, his junior year. Because he shot a fadeaway jump shot. And I didn't I didn't think I could win the state championship with Eric Monstros, who's a foot taller than everybody else, shooting fadeaway jump shots. Right. So I punched him in the chest in the middle of the game and his dad wanted to kill me. But I didn't care. That's what that's the only thing that was going through my mind was I needed him to do what I needed him to do to win. And 
I could have been wrong. I mean, we might have won anyway. Whatever. I don't know. We might have just won on his talent. But, you know, I want somebody that cares that much. And, I mean, I used to throw up before games in high school. Not in college. In high school. I was so nervous about the beginning and the start of games. I want somebody that cares that much. Uh, I When we talked to Tom Coverdale – he said very similar yeah, things. I want a Tom Coverdale. That's what I exactly yes. what I want. Tom Coverdale said, we need players that have F.U. in them. He would call it that. We need some F.U. And we, he didn't see a lot of that in the players that we had. And it's basically the same exact thing you're saying. That yeah, he just, just said he's saying a lot fewer words. Than yeah. <laughs> are there are there are there less of those players around because we're now in the the Purdue yes. gets them. You know, Purdue gets them. Purdue's well, built yeah, a program on them. I'm not saying they're not out there, but I'm just wondering if in the age we're in with the players are more coddled and they're more uh, about how many Instagram followers do they have. Is it, is it a softer yeah. time? It is, for sure. There's no doubt about it. Like, there's those players are still out there. The difference is they don't get to play on the Under Armour teams and the Nike teams and the Adidas teams. The guys who get to play on those are the guys who look good warming up and, you know, they can jump real high. And there was a guy that, that two, just two years ago, there was a kid that was on the number one Indiana elite team in the state of Indiana. And this kid couldn't make a 15-foot jump shot to save his life. But he could jump out of the gym. And that's all anybody cared about. He used to wow. Every, I used to stop and watch him warm up. It was so impressive. But he couldn't play a lick. And he, didn't, he got a scholarship to a Division II school. Hmm. And it's just like, I, I want... But, but the kid like me, in today's world, it's not about wins and losses. You know, I mean, Nike wants the top 25 guys. Right. Well, my problem with that is, who's rating the top 25? Most of the time, it's some dude who never played. There, and it's, not, it's not Charles Barkley and Clark Kellogg root, ranking these guys. It's some um, guy who has a lot of money and donates a lot of money to a certain program and therefore, or, or he's got a, you know, a blog or some, something like you two idiots where he, he's got a podcast and he's, so all of a sudden he's, he's, his there we go. It only took three hours and 10 minutes, but he cracked and just called it for what it is. He looked down at his watch and saw he had been on for three hours with like, these two idiots. How can I end this interview? Yeah. How can I end this real quick? I, I look, I. Uh, I think what you're saying is music to Ward and I ears. We totally agree. I know nothing about recruiting. I know nothing about if these players are any good. I read what I can and watch what I can. I have been told both by people that I read and, and kind of conversations behind the scenes that this Matt Cross kid that they're looking at for 2020 that they really want out of the East Coast, have you heard yeah. anything about him? I've heard he's a nope. dog. I've heard he is a dog. He fights. He gets up in people's faces. He's the kind of player that pisses off the other team. He's not the fastest guy. He's not the most athletic guy. He doesn't jump out of the building. He can shoot the ball, and he's a dog. And when I heard that, that got me more excited than the five-star recruits that everybody gets. Then you, yeah. Then you hearing, then you, you hearing, he has a forty-seven-inch vertical jump. Exactly. Exactly. I want. Yeah. We want dogs. I, I'm so tired of the forty-four-inch vertical jump guys. It's not even funny. And you have to have a couple of them on your team. But right. you also, in my opinion, you I, I think Kentucky is just the, the most – they prove my point for me almost every year. And that is you can't take five top 20 players and go win. You just can't do it. Like there's just not enough balls on the court. 
And well, I mean, I mean basketballs and balls. balls. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, I mean, Calip- I will say this about Calipari, and I hate him, and I hate Kentucky. But, but, but he also loves him. I, there's part of me that respects that he doesn't care about winning championships. I mean, if, if you ask him, what do you care more about, winning national championships or getting your guys drafted in the first round? He'll say getting my guys drafted in the first round every time and unapologetically. No doubt about it. So, Agree. As, fine. If that's what you're doing, then he's doing that very well. That's not Agree. who Indiana is. It's not why Ward and I fell in love with the program. It's not why you wanted to go there and worshipped Bobby Knight growing up. It's not why you want them to get back to that ideal. We're different. We want to be different. We want to stand for something a little bit bigger and greater. And I think you're right. We got to, the rankings and the fans have to get off of, oh my God, we lost out on this five star. Oh my God, we got a commitment. He's only a three star. We have to get away from that and we have to just trust Archie for I, a little bit. I, well, I, I, what, 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 okay, Todd, I, I want to get your opinion on this because Eric and I, we have our timelines with Archie. Like, when will we know? And, and Eric, who just said he needs time, thinks no matter what, by the end of this no, no, season. No, no, not no matter what. We, Catastrophic injury. No, no, no. Look, but you said, <laughs> look, you said by the I end said of by season the end of year three, three, we will know no, if, if he's, he's going to be the, the guy. guy or not. Yep. And I, that I, doesn't mean we win in season three. It just means by the end, with this group of players, we will know, is this guy a real basketball coach who can get us to the next level? I, st- and, and, I stand and, by it. What do you say, Todd? I, I agree I agree with you. And I think, like, I feel like, in my analogy of it, it Eric's celebrating right now, Todd. It has and more- I want to make sure you know what you're agreeing to. <laughs> Wait, we're, but but we're we're breaking up. Like if it's a mediocre season, if it's like we lost Juwan and Romeo, and now we're sort of like we don't make the NCAA tournament. Is that it for both Eric and Todd? You know that if he's the not the guy. Te- if the team has not shown real improvement over what we saw the last two years, which, which is, is which is going to the tournament. Yes, right? yes. Then then I think we will know he's not the guy. I think it'll be a real uphill battle, Todd. Well, see, see, my my opinion on it is this: I already think he's the guy. Mm-hmm. I don't care. I don't care what the result is at the end of this season. I think he's the guy because he has the skill set to recruit. He he can bring guys in that can coach inside. He's a good sideline coach. I think he has all the makeup to whenever we get the right players there. I think he'll be the guy that will win with them. And so I don't need an audition of you know to say that it that with this team he should do this. Uh, I'm not quite at that point yet. They don't have the recruits that I think that they need for Archie to be his optimum, optimally successful. I agree with that. Because to me, I put like, okay, it's got to be at least four seasons just to see what it looks like with the team full of Archie players. Like, how can you even start to judge what this still pretty young coach is going to be? I, I hate when people do this, too. I hate when people... Um, we'll go back and, and, you know, selectively be able to use something from the 1980s as an example. And that's kind of what I'm doing here. But I'm going to love it. I can't it. remember how many how many seasons it was, but I'm pretty sure after three seasons, Mike Krzyzewski had a significant losing record. You're absolutely two. right. And You're everybody wanted right. to get rid of him. Yep. <laughs> so can you can you possibly say that it would have been a good decision to cut bait with him at that point? And not because he had the skill set. He had the Bob Knight makeup. He's competitive as hell. And the difference, in my opinion, between him and Bob Knight is he was able to adjust over time and change his, you know, the way he dealt with players and the way his, he used the systems and all that. Yeah. And, and so, 
but Todd, I, I think Archie has the ability to be able to do that. I don't know that they would give him that kind of time. No, but Todd, of course, Duke should have cut ties with him after three years because yeah, then I wouldn't have had to watch them give them the game in 1992. You would have <laughs> won the national championship. I wouldn't have to watch their shit for the last 20 years winning titles. Yeah, they should have fired him. I, it would have been a good decision for me. It just wouldn't have been a good decision for them. All right. Well, we could do this for another seven hours, but we're not going to. I could. I know. Yeah. Todd, uh, I don't know what to say, man. You were so generous with your time, so open and honest about everything. I've been a fan of yours, even though my ex-wife uh, was was in love with you. By the way, we did get a text from her after we hung up, and the text was, hold on, I've it was, it. I'm going to beat the shit out of both of you. <laughs> but, I hope that's you and Ward. Yeah, 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 yeah just yeah. me and Ward. Yeah, it was group text. And then it was followed up with, but also, thank you for making a high school girl's dream come true. <laughs> so I will say this, Todd, you made two Hoosier hysterics dreams come true by spending this much time with you and going down memory lane and also getting an insight into an ugly time in your life that, that the truth is I had no real um, opinion of. And, and I read what everybody else read and formed my judgments right. based on that, which probably weren't fair. And I really appreciated you going through that with us and giving us that insight. You're, you're, you're a Hoosier. You're always going to be part of the Hoosier family. I love that you're still part of it with doing the regular stuff. Yeah, like with the Daily Hoosier. Let's make sure, you know, everybody checks out of the After the Game podcast. You're going to start that back up in the fall, right? With the games? Yeah, yeah. yeah. for um, sure, yeah. And we get we were talking about it in the intro before we started talking with you. Like, the Daily Hoosier is great. We get that in our inbox um, to see what's going on. And uh, awesome. we're going to do an event in November or December, a Hoosier Hysterics first live event in Bloomington, where we're going to do a podcast from a, an undisclosed location so far, undetermined location. But we think we're going to have some special guests. And Todd, if you're around and can make it there, we would love to have you. You, can, there. you can already chalk me up to that one. You let me know whoever else we need to get there. We'll make that a big well, deal. Well, you're going to have to That's swing by awesome. Pat's house, yeah. grab him and his bulldogs and come <laughs> over to Bloomington. No, those dog. I am not bringing those dogs or turtles or any of the other reptile, reptilian bullshit he's got in his house. Uh, Todd, thank you so much, man. Really appreciated this. You're you're a joy to talk to, and can't wait to listen to more of you. And let's do this again soon. I appreciate your love of Indiana basketball, and just everyone uh, like you guys that that uh, are just straight up fans, like I always have been, and you know, I grew up a kid that way. Um, and I appreciate it much more than you might think. So uh, I enjoyed every second. I promise you, I could have talked for two more hours. Uh, my life would have gotten pretty boring because I would have talked about cemetery burials and things like that. But uh, I appreciate you having me on. And anytime you ever need something, please call me. Thanks, Todd. Thanks man. so much. Great Todd. talking to you. Thanks, guys. Take care. Well. Oh, yeah, sorry. Ward was already gone. Uh, I was like, I'm going to go. Just We're just... sweating. To paint a picture, <laughs> it's about 90 degrees in Los Angeles. We're in Ward's garage. No air conditioning. No air conditioning. No airflow. Every once in a while, we would open the door to the garage to get some air in. But the air we're letting in is 90-degree air, which mm -hmm. does feel better than the 110-degree air, air in the garage. And the sun is now within a foot of where we're sitting. <laughs> uh, listen, let's just wrap it up quickly. Uh, my what, you don't want to talk for another half hour after that? Uh, here's what my takeaways, quick takeaways. You, Todd Leary thinks you and I are both right about the Archie timeline. Mm, <laughs> I, I think I, we're both right. Well, it's that he's already decided. Yeah. So he th Yeah, you'll know by the end of three years. And by the end of four years. Yeah. By the end of two. 
Yeah, he's he 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 knows, which uh, was nice to hear, by the way. The image that we all walk away from is Bob Knight naked on a red leather chair, uncircumcised. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I did not know we were going to learn that no. today. <laughs> Good lord! All right, uh, we're just going to leave that one where it is. I look, Todd has lived several lifetimes in his forty-eight years, and he walked us through pretty much all of them, and. It was a joy to hear him talk about Indiana. It was painful to hear him talk about the bad time in his life, especially when it relates to his kids and what that meant being ripped away from his kids. Uh, but I do think that listening and having these conversations gives us a more nuanced approach to something like that. Because I'll be honest, when I read that stuff, it was a punchline. It's real easy to crack a joke after it you was read real that. easy, and it's real easy to cast him aside and go, "He's a loser." Yet, yet deep down. It's it still hurts because it's like he's family. It's, it's family. Yeah. And you can't turn your back on family. And he's back and he is uh, rehabilitated his life in a way where he's giving back. He's he's doing what he can to to make good what what he went what went wrong. And you got to give a guy credit for that. And he found religion, and God bless him that it helped him get through these hard times. And it led him to doing this podcast. So clearly, redemption came full circle today, the right? Leisure, hysterics, and redemption. And that's that's what we're known for. If there's one thing I know for sure, it's that you and I have a lot to be redeemed for. He's going to pray for you. I know, boy. <laughs> I'm a little worried about getting in my car after this. Just going to be T-boned by somebody. Uh, that was really fun. Follow us on Twitter at Hoosier Hysterics. No vowels and hysterics. Email us at Hoosier Hysterics. What is it? Hoosier Hysterics at gmail.com. We, we got that I'll one. I'll be honest. My brain isn't working all that well after three and a half hours. It's melted down. Yes. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. We'll have more soon. Bye. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Archie and his boys, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics.